So I'm super excited. Roger Vare is joining us today. Roger, how are you, my man? Great to be uh, with all of you guys. So a uh, little side point. I emailed you asking to come on the show. Uh, I think that's the first time I've ever asked somebody else to let me be on their show in, in years. So, because uh, I really, I've, I've been watching your guys' episodes every week and really enjoy the, the thoughtful commentary that's going on. So. Well, we are in high demand, Roger. So it was a, quite a consideration process. We had to have a big fight amongst us about whether we would let you come on the show. We decided we would, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure most people watching know who you are, but I'll just frame it up. Roger has earned the title Bitcoin Jesus, and I think it's, I think it's very apt because, you know, you've been going around spreading the good news of Bitcoin for years, uh, but it's also apt in that you've suffered a lot of uh, persecution for just being a peaceful spreader of good news. And, you know, I was thinking about, because I was talking to Joshua Hensley a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about how you've had kind of two different ways of getting people interested in Bitcoin. One is sort of the early days where you're just going around, giving it to everybody, telling everybody, spreading the word. And two is when people started attacking you during the sort of block, big block, small block debates, the number of people that I've talked to who were like, yeah, I was just for small blocks because that's what everybody said made sense. Until I saw the insane, irrational way that people were vilifying Roger and that had the opposite effect and it made me say, well, wait a minute. Why would they be like banning him and, and calling him name? This doesn't make any sense. Let me go see what Roger has to say. And that inadvertently led a lot of, I think, good minds to, to follow kind of the big block approach and understand how insane it is to limit blocks. So you've had a big impact. And um, I know that all of us kind of appreciate your just consistent level-headed, like you seem to me to have an overarching goal, which is easy, cheap, free, you know, easy, fast, cheap, effective, global free market money and whatever the best means is to accomplish that. That's what you're all about. And I think we, we share that. So um, guys, who wants to start off? We, we were, Roger, we were originally trying to scheme to have you come on and then surprise you by having Kelvin Air and Craig right here. And we're going to try to do like a, like an intervention and see if we could unify all the big blockers. But unfortunately they were unavailable. I don't know if they're in court or what, but you know, we, uh, <laughs> we didn't make it happen. Who, who wants to start off? Or Roger, if you want to just jump in and, and share what made you want to come on and, and talk. I, I guess for a little additional background too for everybody. So like Isaac, you and I first met, when do you think that was? 2014 maybe? I and mean, it's been a while. So Yeah, I think somehow through the Foundation for Economic Education Network, we had met. So I remember some, you through Praxis, right? So you had Okay, yeah. So for Praxis, Praxis as well. And, yep. Yep. Yeah. That's and right. I, I, it's, I'm not sure how many years ago it was, but it, it wasn't one or two years ago. It was five, six, seven years ago, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, and then Derek McGill and I have known each other through the space as well. Uh, Steve and I know each other. TK is the only one. I, I don't think we've ever spoken really directly, TK, but I've seen plenty of your episodes on here and uh, found out that you worked for the Foundation for Economic Education, which uh, obviously I've been a giant fan of for, for decades and uh, donated a thousand Bitcoin to them uh, in back in, uh, 2013. So it's been, been a while at this point. Uh, so, and we're all fans of the market, you know, the free market providing the best quality products at the best price for the most number of people around the world. And the question is, how do we get uh, from where we are today to, to that tomorrow? And which, which flavor of big block Bitcoin is the one that's most likely to do that. And that was the thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about the most, because I think we all agree. The part that's so exciting is like, let's build peer to peer permissionless cash for the world. 
and I, a lot of the things that I hear the SV guys saying, like, let's build a stable protocol that all the businesses can build on top of, like, I love it. Count me on board with that. Like, we need a stable platform for people to build on top of. Uh, but then I hear them saying other things that just seem like insane to me. So they're saying like, yeah, the blockchain and Bitcoin SV, it has to obey the law. And, and like, if you're just going to have it so that like it, it has to obey the law for everything, what do you need a cryptocurrency for? Just go use PayPal. And so I hear all this like state worshiping, bootlicking, and then threatening to sue everybody over patents. And like, it's just like that part is the exact opposite of what I believe in. So I want, you know, people to be able to have you know, their own free ideas and free technologies. And, and uh, you know, I, I think patents are an illegitimately granted uh, state uh, enforced monopoly uh, on just an idea, which is just like crazy. Like if you see somebody, oh, he made a back scratcher out of a stick and he's scratching his back. You can't make one of those two because he patented. I and mean, it's just so stupid. In fact, and I know firsthand. So in my own business, I was sued previously. Um, for a patent thing and like basically the patent that they sued me over was the way a doorknob works like you twist the doorknob and the little pin goes out it's the, and, uh it's the exact same thing for a little electronic part it would lock into position by pulling a little lever like it it wasn't it, it was just such a simple thing that it was just astounding to me that it was patentable like other things that are like complicated i can at least like understand where the point of view is coming from on that like i still don't agree but like they basically patented the way a doorknob has been working for centuries and then sued me over it. And then I had to pay them royalties for the next however many, you know, another, <laughs> the next decade or something. It was just, I think, uh, I think this shape is actually patented the rectangle with rounded edges. Apple, uh, Apple patented that design, that shape of a phone. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely am with you, Roger. And I hear Craig will be in a talk and, and be like, you know, just say something totally ridiculous. Like, Oh, you're going to have to pay me royalties if you want to use another blockchain. You know, you can pay me licensing fees. And, and that's, just, that's just crap, of course. I mean, I, we all agree, I think, with, with that. Um, and, um, you know, it's been unfortunate that that's been sort of the direction they wanted to take. Roger, let me ask you something, because, you know, I was very much, it, and I'm still, I'm still just like, hey, whichever is the most likely to succeed. I'm not, I'm not like a, in the church of BSV or the church of BCH or anything else. But when I hear the, and it's kind of like with politicians, right? You hear the rhetoric of like a Ronald Reagan and he talks about free market stuff. And then in office, he doesn't really do free market stuff, right? No presidents really do. Then you hear like a Bill Clinton or whatever. And he talks about, you know, big government and in office, he's arguably maybe more favorable to free markets, right? Um, And I've kind of felt that BSV's rhetoric is so unattractive, at least, at least Craig Wright's rhetoric is so unattractive didn't didn't used to be early in the block battle yeah his his earlier stuff was great right like (laughs) and it's like all about crazy stuff and patents and you know this panoptic panopticon let governments track you and all this stuff but the reality is like it's just got unlimited you know block size largely set by the market and a protocol is not really messed around with that's got all kinds of opcodes and things that are simpler to use and it's easier to build on and there's more transactions happening on it and BCH has a great free market sort of ideologically. If I were to just say whose articles do I like the most, it would be BCH people because they see more free market. But in reality, I feel like the protocol, the technical stuff has just gotten bogged down and mired in a bunch of like weird, unnecessary, overcomplicated debates and has just failed to, to like when I think about building a business, BSV seems more reliable protocol to build on. What is your take on that? Like, do you share that outlook or am I missing something about BCH? 
I think I share that outlook uh, on almost every point with maybe the last one is to, if you're looking to build a business is BCH or BSV better. And I don't think BSV is better for the main reason that like Craig and Calvin went around and sued the owner of just about every single cryptocurrency exchange in the world. If, if Craig and Calvin hadn't sued the owner of Kraken, the owner of Binance, you know, Vitalik, myself, and like just about, you know, every other major exchange out there and other, other, major figure if they hadn't went around suing everybody i think bsv would like would i think you'd have it would have a whole lot more fans out there like the, one of the biggest problems with the bsv you can't buy it on coinbase you can't buy it on binance you can't buy it on really any of the major exchanges and the reason that's the case is because they went and sued everybody and so like will will the utility of bsv overcome that eventually and attract these exchanges to relist it maybe but I, I wouldn't be willing to bet building my business on that. Whereas uh, there's a lot of hate towards Bitcoin cash from the Bitcoin maximalists, but they hate every coin that's not Bitcoin. And so it's not that particularly unique to Bitcoin cash. They just hate Bitcoin cash a little bit more than they hate Ethereum and Dash and the other ones because they feel like Bitcoin cash is an even bigger threat to the Bitcoin name and brand and recognition that they have because of that. But uh, I like the, the rhetoric of the platform for BSV, like let's build a stable platform and let's let the miners decide the block space. Like that's great. And like the, a real big eye opener for me was when I saw Stefan Molyneux, someone that I followed for a long time and I'm a fan of, he made a Twitch account, right? And it's like, wow, Twitch is really catching on. And for those that don't know, Twitch is, you know, based on the BSV blockchain there. And so Stefan Molyneux, who's like not a full-time crypto guy at all, um, he's just basically a social media guy and he made a Twitch account that, that that's an eye opener. That that's a signal there. And then, uh, I, I feel like we're hearing some of the same debates within Bitcoin cash again, that we already went through within the Bitcoin scaling war, where we hear developers saying, Oh, no, eight megabytes. We need to soft cap it at this and that. And, uh, I'm tired, man. I went through, I went through <laughs> one really, really nasty civil war once. I, uh, and then, as, and then kind of a second one with the BSV BCH split. Uh, I have zero desire for a third one. I think I would just uh, go and retire at that point. If it looked like that was going to happen. So, why haven't, so, why haven't you retired yet, Roger? What, what makes you, I why, mean, why, you why, just chill out, right? Like I know you're not the CEO of Bitcoin.com anymore, but like you're, you're so active in this stuff. What keeps you going after 10 years, almost nine years that you've been in it. Yeah. So I, I think it was a combination of two things. So one, it was studying, you know, all these Austrian economists. So Murray Rothbard and Ludwig von Mises and, and these types, plus reading Ray Kurzweil. And for like, I think lots of people know who the Austrian economists are. Maybe they don't know who Ray Kurzweil is. He wrote a number of really interesting books. One of, one of the ones that's probably the most well-known is called the, the Age of Spiritual Machines. And basically he talks about thanks to Moore's Law. And I, I got to see Moore's Law firsthand through my own business before Bitcoin. Um, man, computers are going to exceed human intelligence. And then are, are humans going to merge with the computers? Are the computers going to like, you know, augment our own brains? Or are they just going to like outcompete us and everything and make humans obsolete? I don't know, but it's like the most exciting thing to ever happen in the entire history of the known universe. Uh, and the fastest way to speed up that stuff happening is through more economic growth and cryptocurrencies that are usable as currencies are the best tool the world has ever seen to speed up that pace of economic growth. So that's what's so exciting for me. So, uh, so you're trying to bring on the apocalypse is what you're saying. Uh, I'm trying to bring on the, the singularity sounds a bit nicer than the apocalypse. So. so Roger, thinking about Twitch, um, one thing that I saw, I don't know if you, you've read this post, it was an article by the memo SV or memo.cash guy, uh, Jason. 
and he had actually said why we support SV too. And he, he actually said, even though the BCH protocol is the greater proof of work chain and has more activity, ironically, they are the chain that is not focused on data-based use cases. The ABC development team has made it clear that they do not think uh, data apps belong on Bitcoin Cash. This is a major concern for Memo. I mean, that right there Agreed. to me was like uh, a, a powerful wake-up call when I actually read that because that's a kind of a kind of a, a game changer. I mean, I've told people before. I think that it would be really great if Bitcoin Cash and BSV would compete on things like the level of government compliance or something like that, or, or patents or something like that. But right now it feels like BCH is, is almost taking itself out of the competition by saying things like, we don't want businesses like, like Memo Cash, you know, using the blockchain, or we're not gonna develop. The concept of spam transactions has found its way into the BCH rhetoric, it seems like. Yeah, so the question is, do we give up on BCH or do we fight that war uh, again? Because, uh, if the miners are willing to accept the price that's being paid for a transaction to be included in the blockchain, that's the market rate. That's the price it should be. It shouldn't be set by centrally planning, you know, software developers. Uh, and so do we, do we say, okay, well, certain, you know, not all, but certain developers in BCH are saying those sorts of things. So let's all go and run to BSV so we can like, you know, license the, the, the technology and have people pay us royalties because Craig Wright has a whole bunch of patents. Like, that's even less attractive to me than, uh, than just continuing to argue within Bitcoin Cash a bit more about so, so Roger, what the appropriate inclusion for transaction is. And, and I don't mean to monopolize the questions, guys. I, I'll make this my last for a long time, I promise. You know how disciplined I am about not talking. <laughs> um, I guess if you analyze, like if you're, tr if you're trying to probabilistically and assess the, the risk or the pros and cons of each coin, it's kind of like how much do you weight the risk of Craig's crazy proclamations and the legal risk of Enchain coming after you and being able to win versus the risk of developers breaking the protocol so that you can't build on it or use it the way that you were expecting to. And when I see those things, even though the rhetoric is so much worse, and I know he has sued people, but those, those cases are like all dropping. It does, none of this seems enforceable. It seems like a lot of bluster. But on it BSB. still costs it people hundreds risk. of thousands of dollars out of their own pocket to defend. And I, I, I know That's firsthand true. from that. So, and That's time. true. Time That's true. Money. But I, I feel like that risk is, is existent, the legal instability and just the wild card of whatever the hell Craig and Enchain are going to try to do. But the risk of the protocol getting changed or someone deciding that your use case is no longer important, um, that seems way more real on BCH that the protocol will be changed and pull the rug out yeah, from or just model. uncertainty, yeah. technical uncertainty in general. Yep. I, I, I don't disagree. So, yeah. I think the um, stuff around the IFP really, really upset us. And, and as you know, I was, none of us were against the IFP as some sort of like principle, like, like I thought it was an interesting proposal and the very abstract idea. There were some interesting thoughts in there, but watching how it got corrupted and totally bungled and botched, by ABC to the point where it felt like we could almost have another split um, was, was sort of like enough is enough for me. I don't want to go through, you know, and have a, a, a community split in six months because uh, a few people have decided that, that that's what they want to do. You know, we've already suffered the economic consequences of having that happen once. Um, and it was pretty devastating, I think, to Bitcoin Cash, the, the BSV split. 
And if that were to happen it was again, absolutely devastating. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's hard to. Uh, it would be hard to understate. I'm sorry, it would be hard to overstate just how devastating the, the split between BCH and BSV uh, was. I mean, maybe the two, if they had stayed combined, maybe they'd be you know half of the value of the BTC version of Bitcoin. Uh, maybe it would have overtaken it by now because the user experience is so much better. So it was absolutely devastating. And actually, that was one of the main reasons that uh, I emailed wanting to talk to you guys about this because. I think I'm, I don't think any of you guys were at that Thailand uh, meeting that happened before the split. I think I was the only one that was actually there. Is that the- we're, we're afraid of Thailand ever since Craig started threatening to send everyone to a Thai prison. Thai prison, that's right. Not just any prison, a Thai prison. So <laughs> I, I was there and that, that's what really left me like the worst taste in my mouth in regards to Craig and Calvin, which are you know, very clearly a team there. And so they were dishonest from the get-go in regards to that meeting. So the, the point of the Thai meeting there was for everybody to get together in the same room and discuss what the path forward is going to be and how it's going to be handled and, uh, you know, what's going to be in the next, you know, hard fork upgrade, that sort of thing. And so everybody got together. The, and I forget the exact days of the weeks, but let, let's say the, the meetings were supposed to be Saturday and Sunday, for example. And so everybody got together uh, there. Everybody started arriving on, you know, Thursday or Friday. Friday night before the, the conference meeting stuff were supposed to actually start, like uh, people went to dinner, right? And uh, you know, people are at dinner just sitting around ch- chatting and there were a bunch of different groups and dinners. Where, and then everybody went to bed that night with the meeting supposed to start you know, Saturday morning. But what happened while everybody was asleep in Thailand on Friday night waiting for the meetings to start the next morning, uh, Calvin at CoinGeek put out an article before the meeting had ever even taken place saying, the meeting was a great success. Everybody decided to follow Satoshi's vision and Craig Wright and InChain and like the you know meeting you know mission accomplished. Congratulations, everybody, on this great agreement of the minds that happened. He put out that news article before the event had even started, and so that left a lot of people <laughs> pissed off. The the Saturday morning when the meetings actually did start, and they're like, "Why did you put this article out? Like, what is going on with that?" And then there were some arguments between you know different developers. Or there and there's. Arguments may be a little bit too strong of a word, but there were some, you know, points of disagreement between different developers within the room. Uh, and this was, you know, the meetings maybe started at 9 a.m. At around 10.30 a.m. or so, not very far into the meetings that were supposed to go on all day, Craig got up and uh, there was some technical discussion. And Craig got up and said, this is all bullshit and lies and stormed out of the room. And then I had to ask, you know, one of his in-chain uh, guys. Is Craig right? Is this all bullshit and lies what these other people are saying? Or, or, or do you agree that there is some substance to the argument? And, and the in-chain guy said, yeah, like there, there's some substance to the argument there that should be discussed. And so Craig literally removed himself from the entire, you know, 80% of the meeting. He was only there for like the first two hours and then didn't attend at all the next day. Calvin didn't show up at all, even though he was there in Thailand. I went to dinner with him the night before. Uh, maybe he was busy planning all of his lawsuits to sue everybody. So he didn't show up, but like it really left a, a really, really bad taste in my mouth for dealing with these people because I saw just how honest the shenanigans are. And Calvin can be amazing. He is a force of nature about getting things done. He has his whole entourage around him that he can spin off to accomplish the different tasks that come up that need to be done. But, uh, you know, putting out a press release before the event had even actually happened, saying that the event was a great success and everybody agreed to follow Satoshi's vision. That's some dirty, underhanded stuff. And that's been happening time and time again from the in-chain people. And I, I didn't turn a full blind eye to it uh, before the split had happened, but uh, I definitely didn't speak out against it as, as strongly as I should have. And now that I'm on the receiving end and I see, you know, he, the, 
in, uh, was it CoinGeek posted some article about me claiming that I support murder and child rape or something like that because because I, I voluntarist and I think drugs should be legal. Right? Derek went on a Derek went oh on God. a CSV fans podcast and he had a Bitcoin Cash shirt on and the guy was so offended by this the whole time he was accusing Derek of supporting child porn because he was wearing a Bitcoin Cash. So and he kept, he kept bringing the conversation back to that. So these guys, I mean, it's obviously a lot of the rhetoric is, is, is pretty horrible. T- so how, how do we, you got it. You got to yeah, defend fix behavior? this guys. How do- TK is the BSV, the resident BSV uh, church of BSV guy. What <laughs> like are Craig and Calvin playing some 11 D chess that Roger just failed to appreciate by, by, you know, preempting a meeting with a press release. Or is that keep, just some crazy shit? I keep correcting you. 12D chess. <laughs> no, no. Um, Roger, I feel like one thing that people in crypto are absolutely amazing at is calling everyone criminals, liars, scam artists, and so forth. I feel like there is no one in crypto who has had any influence or impact that is immune to that. Everybody gets called that. And I feel like I've been part of enough debates to where I can guarantee at least one comment we're going to get when this goes up, I can guarantee someone's going to be like, oh, Roger's lying through his teeth. I know that's not true. And then they're going to say some stuff. He's a like, felon. What you just said, right? <laughs> now, so, so here's my question for you about that. Are, have you considered, just like you're here with us, just talking casually, just sharing from your heart, sitting down, whether CoinGeek or any other context, with Craig and Calvin and hashing this stuff out and debating it? Yeah, I did that numerous times. And... Uh... I'm, I wish I wish I could speak totally freely about this, but I'm being sued. And so I have to be really careful what I say about this. Like it's still ongoing. And so I can't really say all the stuff because maybe the lawsuit will get worse in regards to that. But uh, the short answer is I, I've done that in the past. And I, I saw firsthand the dishonesty with putting out the press release about an event before it had even happened, claiming that the conclusion had already come uh, you know, into existence before the conclusion had been reached. And uh, that's some dirty underhanded stuff that, uh, that I don't think is okay. I should pull that blog post where I say that I just, I just published a minute ago saying that Roger Vera came on our show and decided that he was going to join BSV. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't, so, so, don't worry, guys. So, so you're not opposed as a matter of principle, then. If, if, if it were possible and everybody was willing to get together, you would be opposed to sitting down with Calvin or Craig in a public format, moderator, having a discussion. I, I don't have anything set up. I'm just... I just want to hear you say you're not opposed to that. I'm not interested in having any sort of a relationship with Craig whatsoever. And I'm being very careful with my words because of ongoing lawsuits. Uh, but but, but taking was, Craig out of it, taking Craig out of it. Let's say if it was somebody like yeah. Jimmy, somebody like Calvin, anybody from SV sitting down to talk about those differences, would you even be open in theory to that? Yeah, absolutely. All right. I, 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 Okay, sorry, go ahead, TK. All right, I, I want to follow up like a two-part question here. One is going back to this Thailand story. Do you get the impression that maybe we could explain this through the, the following lens that maybe the whole Craig and Calvin and Inchain team thought to themselves, the people that were debating in BCH are just at such a low level that we essentially have to take this project over from them. Like they're, they're so confused about the basics we're just going to pretend that we're collaborating. Really, we're going to put out the press release. We're taking control of this project because we're the only people that can execute on it. Do you think maybe that was the, just the kind of their game plan? 
that that very likely could have been the game plan. But uh, as you know, Carl Watner used to say, uh, it's not that the, the ends don't justify the means. The the means are the ends. Oh, for, and, for sure. Uh, I'm not I'm not justifying that at all. I, I'm just trying to. But yeah, that may have been the mentality. Yeah. That that very likely could have been the mentality. So the, the follow-up question is, um, this is related to something you, you brought up earlier about some of the technical goings on in BCH. So I just posted a, a thing a couple of days ago um, that was a, uh, uh, the BSV had mined a th more than 300 meg block. They actually mined a two more than 300 meg blocks. And I said, okay, what is the explanation for this BCH people? Because I, because I don't have the ability to like know the truth about the code, I have to maintain multiple minds and saying, okay, this is plausible, this is plausible, this is a good argument, and try to discern among them. Some of the arguments I had been hearing for years, starting with BTC and then with BCH, um, was that block propagation was this, this technical obstacle that, that needed a lot of work in order to be overcome. That's why we needed things like graphene and other projects, because somewhere around 20, 30 megs, um, you were going to run into fundamental technical problems, uh, several technical problems, but one of which was block propagation. Um, now, the 300 meg block was out there. It had a, a block six minute before it and six minute after, uh, and, uh, afterwards. So that implies block propagation is not a problem. So I, I, I asked about this and I got some responses from BCH devs saying, well, saying a whole bunch of crazy things like, uh, well, block propagation was never claimed to be the problem. It's actually mempool acceptance, which that was exactly my reaction. I was like, no, no definitely. I'm a hundred percent sure block propagation. We went is one found of the about a dozen posts from yeah from everybody. Devs. Yeah, Chris Pacea, John, uh, uh, Jonathan Tumim. Uh, there was a goalpost sounds awfully familiar to the Bitcoin it, core guys. Right? It, exactly. I I found a video of Amri Sachet explaining when BSV pushed out a 64 meg block. Amri Shashay gave an interview where he said, oh, well, it took 20 minutes to propagate, and that means you're going to have a bunch of orphans. This is a we predicted this. Uh, this couldn't happen with uh, blocks any bigger than this. You can't have 20-minute propagation times. So when I'm looking at it now, I'm going, okay, it actually does seem like some of those mines in BCH that were making very specific technical claims about the limitation of the Bitcoin software were just straight up wrong. Is that one your question impression? I do have, and, and, and I don't know, were, were, was the 300 med block and then the one right before and the right after, um, were those all mined by the same mining pool or different mining pools? And, and, and if they were different mining pools, are they in the same data center? Uh, the, the 300 meg block was Tau. Um, the one, I believe the one before it was uh, uh, via BTC. I don't know what the one after it was. Okay. It might have been Tau, I'm not sure. Yeah, so I, I'm... Just as frustrated as anybody else, and, and and the next guy over moving goalposts and shifting goalposts, and there's been way, way, way too much of that uh, in the cryptocurrency community over the last couple of years, and uh, it's not it's not acceptable. Uh, and if you have empirical evidence that contradicts the theoretical limits, the the empirical evidence trumps the, the theory. So yeah, uh, well, so so John, uh, John, Jonathan Tumim, um, who, whose work I've been a fan of for a while, I thought he was a pretty reasonable guy. Um, I had a little dialogue with him about this. And, and he, he started saying that actually, the problem all along wasn't the technical limitations. It was that uh, having blocks of unbounded size was a problem for the 
in, with the incentives of mining, that it benefited the big players more than the small players. Well, he specifically so, said that mining, it made mining unfair. Unfair. And, and he said, and this, is a, and this is an exact quote, he, said, yeah. he says, BCH is an intermediate blockchain. We want to let our blocks be as big as they can safely be, but no bigger. BSV, on the other hand, is not concerned about safety. So I, I read that, and you, I mean, you, you and I have had conversations about like we're, we are both a big, we want BCH to win. I read that and I go, oh my gosh, it happened again. Corp 2.0, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or Vin Armani going on and saying, nobody in BCH wants gigabyte blocks. That's, yeah. that's you know. Or like, even the bigger issue. Whether or not issue. that's true, it's disheartening to hear it. Or but even just watching, watching the, the behavior that has, has been increasingly a problem of, of, of basically censorship again. You know, the, the mass campaign to get Steve pulled from the BCH <laughs> debate because he wasn't a, uh, a authorized representative of Bitcoin Cash, you know, um, or Steve getting banned from, from Bitcoin Cash telegram groups for nothing, you know, stuff like that. But, and that stuff is petty, no doubt. But can, can we at least say at this point with the empirical evidence, it's uh, with the empirical evidence, it seems like actually the technical arguments from most from the BCH philosophy were actually wrong with regards to scaling. Seems like it. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't look deeply into the 300 megabyte block. I saw that one existed, but if it's mined by different mining pools in different parts of the world and it propagated and was validated uh, in a reasonable amount of time, then yeah, it, I mean, the, the empirical evidence will trump the, the, the theory. And the, you know, hearing these guys say, oh, well, Bitcoin Cash doesn't want the blocks to be, you know, too big. It's just like the exact same mentality as Core, but with just a different, a slightly different, you know, in number that they came up with. Like Core says one megabyte's okay. Bitcoin Cash or BCH can say, you know, either eight or, or 32 or somewhere in that ballpark right. is okay. And the BSV guys are anything. But uh, if we can touch on the censorship, though, too, one of the things that made me not like, I've had basically zero involvement in BSV. And one of the main reasons for that is from the very inception, there's the BSV Reddit subreddit. I ban I was banned for, I've never made a single post there. I was preemptively banned from being able to post there. And it seems to be run by like an absolute lunatic. Uh, thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> is it RBSV or is it a Bitcoin Cash SV? Do you remember which one? I think I'm banned from both of them. I'd, I'd have to go yeah. and double check. I, I got to uh, say, yeah, once, I, I, the, once the SV and BCH split happened, I basically pretty much abandoned Reddit because the quality of all subreddits just felt like it, it declined dramatically. So I don't know. I can't speak to that. And I don't know if Reddit is where the SV community, it seems more like SV people are in a bunch of separate private telegrams and maybe Twitch now. So I don't know, but yeah, the, the I would never Reddit argue is, that it's a healthier community uh, if you're going to talk about like just the average fan out there than BCH. They both seem equally dysfunctional in many ways. The SV Reddit is is pretty small, um, but yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you, Roger. I mean, actually, I I resisted SV. I mean, I never sold my coins, but I resisted promoting it for a long time, or even even really talking about it for a long time because I found the shenanigans and the rhetoric just so off-putting. I mean, watching several people in BSV who, who used to say rational things suddenly start talking about throwing everybody in jail and suing everybody and copywriting the white paper and how amazing it was to, to go around and, and patent this and patent that. Like all of that stuff was, was so off-putting. It was actually a very long road for me to conclude that despite all of that, I don't actually really believe that deeply in Bitcoin Cash anymore. 
Um, and, and so it, I, I, I acknowledge all those personality issues and, and all of that stuff. On the other hand though, too, I've, I've, having gone to some BSV events, events in person, I've realized that the online community is, is not representative of the in-person community at all. Um, and it feels like the crazies online, the sort of Craig Wright cultists, um, and they are, to be honest, I mean, are, are, are sort of irrelevant um, in the actual uh, space. They're very loud, very annoying voices. Um, but in person, I didn't meet anybody like that. Like I went to the CoinGeek event and there were a thousand people there. Um, and I came home and I watched a lot of people in BCH talk about this in Telegram groups. Prominent BCHers, people who I've respected, say they must have been paid people to be there. And oh, that's just, that's just all hype. And it wasn't. Being there in person, I actually saw there were a lot of really intelligent people building interesting things. A lot of stuff that hasn't even been announced publicly yet. Um, that was just really, really cool and it was really refreshing. And, and so if I hadn't seen that other side of things, I would have concluded, you know, that these people are all just nutsos. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I was very put off as well. Not, not because if it was just a strategic discussion, like, hey, actually, none of these blockchains are, you know, exempt from the law, whether you like it or not. So maybe a better strategy is this. Okay, I'll listen. Like, I may not like it, but I'll listen. But it was That's like- That's not what a, he's saying, though. No, like, like you, it was like a, this cultish, like literally like bootlicking, like worshiping yeah. law, just unqualified. If it's a law, it's good and it ought to be enforced. Really off-putting. Once I kind of started using Twitch and kind of talking to some individuals, all the people that are building stuff, like, like Josh Hensley and Daniel Krawitz and Josh Petty and a lot of the guys- they're, they share the radical free market voluntarist, by the way, Carl Watner is a great reference. The voluntarist magazine was a, a classic. Um, That's how I know we're kindred spirits because not too many people <laughs> in the world. So I had a subscription to that when I was younger. That and, is a rare one. Uh, not too um, many people in the world will know that reference. So. Yeah. So, so anyway, I, I think, I think both communities have some major issues, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make the decision based on, you know, of like which coin I think is more likely to succeed based on that surface interaction. And I guess what I want to move from everybody saying what's wrong with BCH and then expecting you to defend it, I want to move to, you have kind of made the case that, you know, there's, there's two options, voice and exit, right? When you confront a regime that you don't like or a situation you're unhappy with. And we have all kind of said, eh, it looks like maybe exit from BCH is the best option. A flawed SV maybe has better odds than a flawed BCH. And you seem to be advocating voice like no let's let's improve it let's change it let's overcome some of these things so i would love to know what do you think is the best way to get bch on the right track and to overcome some of these developer misconceptions and weird sort of lack of certainty on the protocol and all those problems yeah uh so excellent summary that's exactly how i see it i'm not ready to exit i'm still going to use my voice uh, and I'd have to use my voice in BSV because there's all that crazy statism there. And, I, and the, the really crazy part there too is I saw people that used to be saying libertarian type stuff. The BSV split happened and now they're giant statists like supporting Including the, Craig. The state says. Including Craig. Yeah, if you, read his, if you listen to his earlier talks, he was great. And then I, there's people that I personally knew or still know from the, like the Tokyo Bitcoin meetup from the earliest days that used to be big time libertarians. And now I see him on Twitter promoting all this statism. And it's like, what? you know, what, what space alien went in your brain and took you over? <laughs> How did that happen? So, um, 
So how do, I guess the good news or why I'm still, you know, wanting to use my voice in regards to BCH is uh, the good news is what the blocks are, you know, one or 200 kilobytes. We have lots and lots of room before we start bumping into that barrier. And maybe some businesses that would have built on BCH have been scared off because they see that 32 megabyte limit out there. Um, but for the most part, I don't think it's an actual problem yet. And if it, if we get to like, you know, 32 megabyte blocks, or eight megabyte blocks, and they start saying, Oh, that's big enough. We're not going to like it any bigger. Like, that's it. I've, I've had enough of cryptocurrency. I'm, I'd be calling it a day at that point. But I, I think it was really a positive and bullish sign for Bitcoin Cash when we saw when ABC basically tried to take over the whole thing and have this infrastructure funding plan, which like I agree with you, Derek, like really interesting concept. You can make the other chains pay for most of it and like totally fantastic on that front. But the yeah. devil's always in the details. How do you allocate the funds? Who gets to decide who gets the funds and why and how much of them? And, you know, we, we saw it was ready to split the chain apart. But the fact that so many people came out of the woodwork and said, no, absolutely not. And they raised, you know, thousands of Bitcoins for other full node implementations. I BCH node now has a significant amount of the market share. And then people are donating to BCHD and then Bitcoin Verde and these other ones. So like that was a really, really bullish sign for me that like people aren't going to just follow blindly a couple of, you know, you know, dev gods incarnate uh, there. So I think that's a, that's a good sign for, for BCH. And I don't see the same sort of willingness to have dissent within BSV. And I granted I'm on, I'm on the outskirts of BSV, but like I see a lot of this, you know, cult of Craig worship out there and Craig, Craig can do no wrong. And everything he says is absolutely right all the time. Never mind. And what he said last week, it was totally right too, even though it totally contradicts what he said today, but he, he was right both times when he said it. And don't mind the contradictions one bit. And I, I, that's, that's what I see as someone on the outskirts of BSV. And to me, and then you know, the, of course, you know, the ten times already the patent trolling and threats of lawsuits and, and and licensing and this and that, like, not interested in that one bit at all. And so, I think that there's still a, a good shot with the uh, with Bitcoin Cash. Uh, Arjun, can I can I ask you about some of the SB stuff for a bit? Please. All right. So, I, I don't know if you use how do you describe yourself? Anarcho-capitalist or voluntarist? Sure. I like voluntarist more, but I, I, if you call me an anarcho-capitalist, I'm not going to argue one bit. So Murray Rothbard is my, my biggest intellectual hero. So. Okay, yeah, same here. So I, I think one of the things we probably share in common is that any company or organization that you know we're thinking about supporting or investing in, nine times out of ten, the person at the top is probably going to be a statist in at least one reprehensible manner, right? Whether it's, whether it's Nike, whether it's Apple, whether it's the NBA, chances are the overwhelming majority of people in the world are statist. Most people are. Um, and our position, politically speaking, is very fringe. We're a small minority. And so for me, it's always seemed obvious that if I only invested in companies or supported companies or purchased products from companies where people shared my political beliefs, I would never be able to buy anything. My grocery store is probably owned by a statist. My car is probably made by a statist. There's some people in New Hampshire who have been trying to live that way for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess my question for you is like, where do you draw the line between allowing yourself to get behind something that has utility, has real value, while, while not getting maybe distracted by the fact that, hey, people in powerful positions there use a lot of reprehensible sounding status rhetoric. I mean, what would make BSV in this regard different from a decision you might make to, to buy an iPhone or to buy an automobile from a company where the CEO like endorses patents or other status policies you don't like? 
Sure. So I, I think the, the, the big difference here is that I don't think Nike or Apple or, or Ford Motor Company, their goal isn't to strip away power from every single government on the planet and put the power you know, back in the hands of each individual to be able to have control of their own money. That's not the goal of any of those companies. For me, the entire point of cryptocurrency is to put the individual in complete control over their own money and not have to get permission from any government or bank or anybody at all to do whatever they want with their own money. And so the question I have to, I guess, turn it around to you, TK, do you think Bitcoin Cash has a better chance of achieving that goal for people around the world or does Bitcoin SV? And even if both people at the helm were total status, I see Bitcoin Cash as having a better shot at doing that than Bitcoin SV. And that's why I'm still partial to Bitcoin Cash over Bitcoin SV. Agree, disagree? Give, give me your thoughts, please. Yeah, so I, I kind of hear two, two possible statements from you. Um, one is, look, TK, I hear you, man. But I think BCH is just better if, if the goal is to create a freer society and get, get private money. I think BCH Bingo. just has a better chance. If that's the position, okay, that, that's just kind of like a technical disagreement or like an economic disagreement. The other statement that I feel like I kind of hear is, man, I'm not fully happy with BCH. We've got some problems. BSB is doing a lot of things better than us, and it's got a lot of potential, but I just can't bring myself to endorsing BSV because those guys are just freaking status. And all of those followers out, out there, they're just cultists, and I just can't be a part of that kind of community. It sounds like I yeah, hear I, an element of that too. Am I wrong? Both of those statements are right. So like, let's say like, you have you know, two different competing levels here of, of what chance does you know, BCH and BSV have of, of you know, bringing more economic freedom to the world. If you know, BCH has a 70% chance, I think BSV has a 50% chance, right? Just for example. And so if BSV I thought had 75% and BCH was, was 70%, then I'd, I'd be supporting BSV or, or I'd just be tired out and have had enough and retire. But you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be speaking <laughs> out against uh, any, any, anything here. So, well, and, and when you're trying to make these value... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go for it, Steve. No, I was going to say, the, the, one of the weird things here is when you're trying to make the evaluation of the relative possibility of BSV making the world a freer place, on that spectrum, there's the other end, which is also BSV might be a, a tool of the state for state oppression. This is the other thing that disturbs me is they're talking about like tracking everything and making sure that your, your commerce is never fully outside of the watchful eye of the omniscient BSV blockchain. That might not just be, you know, not an improvement for freedom. That might make us all less free. The, the, and, and that's one of the biggest turnoffs to me as well. But when I step back and think about if that is true from a technical standpoint, it is currently no less true for any of the forks of Bitcoin. Now, it's possible that because of the ideology of the community in the future, BCH will have much better privacy stuff than BSV ever will and make that harder. But as it currently stands, that possibility is scary. I don't know that it's any scarier technically on one chain than another. Community wise, there's one community that's way more open to it. At least, part, at least the loudest, dumbest part of that community is way more open to it than the others. And that's a risk. <laughs> So you heard, you heard it here first, the, lo the loudest, dumbest part of the BSV community can't wait to turn it into a spy chain. Um, <laughs> so so let, let me kind of defend that. Um, I, I've heard a number of people in the SV community argue that. So you're defending TK the loudest, the dumbest of part the of the community, is that is, just to be clear? Yeah, you're defending the loud, dumb idiots, TK. Go ahead. <laughs> I guess you're on this show, so you're already used to it, huh? 
Well, well I, I, I kind of think BSV kind of gets a bad rap when it comes to the status stuff. Um, because I, I, think, I think there are anarchist arguments you could make for a lot of the same features of SV that people mm -hmm. argue, oh, that's, that's statist. Are arguments that at least prove that these are not intrinsically statist ideas. So for instance, let's take the idea of making everything traceable. I totally get the fear that this could be used or abused by the state. I totally get that. No problem imagining that at all. But I don't think traceability is intrinsically statist. I think there's a debate to be had there, right? Because there are some people in SV who have made the argument that this actually forces the state to be transparent. And you can disagree with that, right? You can say, on practical grounds, that's not going to work. But, but at least we can have a debate about that, that, that that could be a motive too, no? I mean, Steve, you've even made the Trojan horse argument. So I, I like well, to hear you talk on that. I can, I can add something right to that. Now, so gonna... I can add something to that too, because I've I thought a lot about this. And if you actually go look back into the history of, of Bitcoin, two people who I respect tremendously were making this exact argument. Um, Mike Hearn was one of them. And I oftentimes feel like Craig is, is actually just copying Mike Hearn, um, but doing it in a way that sounds crazier. Uh, because if you go read Mike Hearn, Mike Hearn presents a lot of these same ideas in a much more rational way without the glee and like excite, excitability of, of arresting people. Mike is just saying, hey, there's some political realities that we should, we should recognize. And building something that explicitly attacks the state is a bad way to bootstrap money. And the argument he makes is that an outlaw currency is not useful to outlaws and that the best money will be the most inclusive money. And that actually includes currently the state. Um, it's an interesting argument to be made. Um, and he makes it in a way that's not crazy. The other thing that I saw was Hal Finney said uh, in the cypherpunk list, this was you know, two decades ago or even longer. He said that if, you're, if your cash system is traceable, it will be a lot harder to commit robbery, extortion, kidnapping, fraud, and all those other horrors in which people will come to, to recognize with digital cash. And Hal Finney is, by all measurements, a, a really hardcore sort of crypto anarchist. He was not a guy that was, was in favor of, of using the state to oppress people. And even he argued for traceability. And so me, me reading those two things, I thought, oh, that's interesting. Some interesting thoughts there. Um, so I wanted to just add those before we, we, we go further. Yeah, I, I've been seeing your tweets uh, about those exact things. And like, it seems like you've really been digging deep and doing lots of research into the early writings of the different people that were involved. And, and yeah, so is cryptocurrency a Trojan horse to supplant government's control of money? I sure hope so. Um, I've been a little bit, you know, so vocal that maybe it's not a Trojan horse. It's just, you know, right there out in the open. But, uh, but if it winds up being a Trojan horse and achieving it, that's, that's just fine too. But the big difference I see between the BSB community and the BCH community is the BCH community is actively building the tools to enable people to have privacy with their Bitcoin Cash. So I don't know if you guys are aware of Cash Fusion on Bitcoin Cash, but this is a really big deal. It shuffles up your Bitcoin Cash in more ways, uh, more potential ways then there are atoms in the entire universe. That's some really amazing privacy right there on top of Bitcoin Cash. And I, I'm not aware of anybody having you know, launched anything even remotely similar to that on top of BSV. And another real strong sign that Bitcoin Cash is the currency that can bring more economic freedom to the world is that lots of darknet markets have started using Bitcoin Cash already. I'm not aware of any darknet markets that are using BSV. And if they were, I'm sure Craig would, you know, have a, practically have a stroke over, over <laughs> so, that. So two, two thoughts. Well, one, uh, 
maybe it's a Trojan horse in the opposite direction. And this is all a, a government. Wouldn't that turn stuff. out to suck? Yeah, get all get all the anarchists using this currency and then yeah. you know, lock them. There up. is some evidence for that. Sometimes that would be, it that would be terrifying. But <laughs> you know, it's possible. I hope this is not the case, right? This would this would kind of suck too. But it's possible that you have two use cases that are just so separate you can't be both at once. You have gray market and black market money, which I think is absolutely valuable, viable, because so much of law is horribly immoral. And that sometimes is the only outlet is the black and gray market. People survive off of that. All you need to think about is the the example everyone says is too extreme of Nazi Germany, like black markets save lives from horrible tyranny. So like there's a need for the ability to exchange and carry out business and survive in black and gray markets. But it's possible that you cannot have a digital currency, cash can serve both to an extent, a digital currency that can serve both markets. Because if it's the black market currency and it's used for a lot of crime, governments have an incentive to shut it down and never let it expand beyond that. But if it's a legal, legitimate market currency and it expands and is very large there, then maybe after it's the status quo, there are some things you could do to split off of that to have some variations that are black market, but from the get-go. And Satoshi seemed to have some intimation of this saying, I wish that, I wish that WikiLeaks hadn't used it. You know, Gavin, I wish that, well, he, well, he wished Gavin hadn't talked to the CIA. So maybe that's going the other well, way. Well, he told but, Gavin, I wish you wouldn't uh, give the pirate currency angle and start talk, stop. I wish you would stop talking about Bitcoin as this like mysterious sort of dark currency and stuff like that, because that gives it a bad reputation. And the other thing that he said that I thought was interesting was um, we do, we definitely do not want to lead with anonymity on the website. And I make no claims that this, uh, this uh, uh, somehow, I guess, removes power from the government or something like that. Like so, he explicitly so I guess says that. If you had a choice between a new digital currency that was really useful for uh, outside of, you know, extra legal activities, but that's the, as big as it could ever be, or a non-federal reserve, non-inflationary currency that was used by the whole world, but was not usable in extra legal activities. You know, do, do you pick a dog in that fight? Which one expands human freedom more? If that's a choice you have to make, it may not be, but I'm curious. Yeah, why not both? Um, but like, like Derek pointed out that Mike Hearn said, even outlaws can't use an outlaw currency. You have to have the currency usable in, in regular transactions in order for outlaws to even be able to use it. Uh, and uh, I, 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 the, the, the entire crypto coin community just lost such a great mind when Mike Hearn basically got, you know, trolled, uh, trolled out of the community there and just attacked viciously because he was just such a, a interesting, uh, clear thinker and, uh, you know, hat tip to Mike Hearn for all the work he did in the early days. And Derek's one of the premier, I think, historians of uh, you know, the, the early history there at this point. I mean, Derek, you have some more to add on, on that front? I, I've been following your tweets about all the early stuff and early quotes i've been finding them you know super interesting because I, I lived through most of it but it's like oh yeah, yeah i remember that I yeah there's, there's that. so I much about that, that for, for forever there's so much you miss too and you forget and and the stuff that i've forgotten and uh yeah I'll, I'll send you a document i've been working on too i want to get your thoughts on it afterwards um but uh mike just had a really interesting way i think of bridging the gap between the radical uh ideologue anarchists, and I consider myself one of them, even though like, I, I have toned my rhetoric down, my, my deep hatred of the state has not actually changed. Um, but he had an interesting way of talking about Bitcoin that I, I think 
I think bridges the gap and, and brings some, some necessary thought process to, to the equation, which is while we want Bitcoin to be a tool to take down the state, what's the best way to make Bitcoin successful? And I think the innovation of Bitcoin is having a money that is not inflated. And if you have a money that can't be inflated, that is a massive tool for economic freedom. Even if we didn't get anything else, that tool alone dramatically reduces the power of the state because the state funds itself through inflation and through deficit financing. And if they're not able to do that, if people have an alternative, that alone just completely strips the, the, the state of, uh, strips the state of a lot of power. It's not perfect. It's not everything we would want it to be, but it's a massive improvement. And Mike was sort of sort of aware of that. And I think I think he, I'll share some quotes online uh, later because I don't have them in front of me. But he really pointed out that look, as much as we might want to get rid of some of these these laws around KYC and around other things. A lot of this stuff exists and companies have to deal with this whether we like it or not. You know, as a business who's accepting Bitcoin right now, they're going to have to accept, they're going to have to do KYC. You know, if, if Microsoft were to accept Bitcoin, you know, or, or, or Apple or something like that, they would have to, do, they would have to be compliant. There's no way around it right now. You know, no matter what tool we build, because they're such a big entity, the government can always just show up at their door with men's with guns and say, hey, do this, right? And so recognizing that reality without, I think, going too far in the direction of saying that Bitcoin just makes all of this stuff impossible, I disagree. I think some of the anarchist rhetoric is sort of idealistic, and it doesn't take into account that at the end of the day, the state has a lot of power to show up at your door and arrest you. Um, and being aware of that is useful. And Mike Hearn kind of brought that to the table. I, I think that's true, and I, I like that perspective, but the, I think there's a different there are different approaches to the realities of things like KYC and conformity to regulations. So one approach might be the way we build the Bitcoin economy is by first uh, looking at the, the, the laws and seeing uh, what uh, acceptable behavior is and then <laughs> yeah. we act in accordance with a lot of try to build thank, businesses. Thank goodness uh, Uber did not take that approach. But exactly. That. The, the other approach, which, which is definitely more in BCH, and I think I'm very critical right now of the BCH community, but something that is, there's no doubt it's superior um, in BCH, is the, is the more, hey, look, uh, let's, let's build things first and then if we have to, if things are looking maybe a little bit uh, uneasy, then we consult the lawyers and then we consult the, uh, the law and try, if we need to we, try to, we try to change the law. We try to already have an existing product that works that people are using that we can turn around to regulators and say, look, we're already doing this. We're creating value for people. Maybe this is an area where the law needs to change and we don't need to change ourselves to the law. Yeah, one of the best ways to demonstrate freedom or make freedom possible is, is by skirting the boundaries of law. This, the BSD people often miss that, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of the worst laws have been repealed by people sort of breaking them or at least moving around the edges and building something that was a viable alternative. Um, so I, well, I, and, I totally agree with Just like strategically law is the slowest moving facet of all of society. So if you want to build a radical new tech and you say, well, first we got to make sure it's legally compliant. Well, you're, you're choosing the slowest part of society to be your limiting factor in advancing a radical new progressive tech. It's just, it's just stupid. You got to move fast and break things, so to speak. And when the law freaks out and they're the last to figure out that there's, this is a threat to them, well, then you can you know, potentially adjust. I, I think that is leverage. definitely missed. Yeah, we were joking that if local.bitcoin.com were done on Bitcoin SV, it would be like local.bitcoin.gov. 
It'd be like this like horrible 90s site that like has like all these like paper forms you have to fax in in order to join the exchange or like an SLP token where you've got to sign up. You got to prove your identity with a rusty staple and a coffee stain. (laughs) And and so, I mean, I, I, I definitely think that SV goes too far in that direction. But I also think that a lot of their rhetoric is way worse than in, in, in how it sounds and and in practice, I don't see a lot of people building stuff that looks like they're building it to be state compliant, to be honest. And I see a lot of people, too, who are making things who, who, who frankly, are, are, are now willing to even just question Calvin and Craig. And there's a lot of that going on now. And so I don't, I don't think it's that the hostile rhetoric and the crazy rhetoric that started in the beginning is as influential as, as, it, uh, as it was in the beginning. Hey, can I, can I move us in? I think this is a good segue if Roger's willing to stick with us for a little bit longer. And this, this ties into both boots on the ground strategy and tactics, as well as some theoretical discussions about the nature of money and what makes something become money and how to bootstrap it. So we've talked before on here about adoption strategies. And I have sometimes jokingly, probably unfairly characterized the get every business using it in commerce as like put a bumper sticker on every hot dog stand. And I think this this goes to uh, another division between BSV and BCH, where the BSV approach seems to be leaning towards building things that use cases that cannot be accomplished without using BSV. So you couldn't do it on fiat or on any other crypto, like Twitch, like a lot of microtransaction things, where BCH's adoption strategy seems to be more convincing businesses for novelty or ideological reasons who could just as easily accept fiat to just accept BCH instead. And I I think I used to be a fan of that approach, but it took me a long time to realize that that was was a value add when Bitcoin first came out because it could do things that fiat couldn't as as a payment method. But then Venmo and PayPal and all these other things caught up and now you're basically asking companies to take on additional risk and headache without any unique benefit. People can use a credit card just as easily. And so I'm curious, Roger, from an adoption strategy, if you feel, and I think Steve is more on this camp, if you feel that going out and getting a bunch of merchants to accept Bitcoin in lieu of fiat is the best strategy for adoption um, versus you know, trying to build unique apps that can only be done on, on Bitcoin. Uh, why not both is, is the short, short answer. But uh, I think getting out, going out there and getting a whole bunch of businesses to use it is a viable strategy. And that was the strategy that I you know, took from day one. And initially, though, you get all the people that are on board for ideological reasons, right? You'll get all these people that are excited about having hard money and, and uh, you know, government not being able to inflate it and control it. All those people are, if they're not already using cryptocurrency, they're already aware of cryptocurrency. So now how do we get the other you know, 99% of society on board? And that has to be actual useful things where it's more useful than their credit card or PayPal or something else. And that's why I've been such a giant fan of purse.io for so long, because people that aren't libertarians, they don't know anything about you know, monetary policy. They've never heard of Mises or Rothbard or any of these guys. They've probably never even heard of Adam Smith. But you tell them that they can save 25% off every single purchase from Amazon, they'll be, boom, where do I sign up? I'm ready right now. Show me. How can I do this? And, and they love it. And so I think anywhere we can find a niche for cryptocurrency in which it's more useful than credit cards or PayPal or whatever else, we need to be promoting the heck out of that. And, and, and we, we can't forget, too, like 
credit cards have come, come a long way too. I just got a new one in the mail today or yesterday because my old one is expiring soon. And I noticed the new one has a little symbol on there, the little uh, pay wave symbol, just like that. Uh, which means you don't even have to swipe your card. You just tap to pay or everybody that's using Apple pay for everything. So like that stuff didn't exist when Bitcoin came out. Now it does. And so like the traditional, we like to make fun of the traditional legacy dinosaur stuff, but like they're progressing too and their stuff works. And uh, it's, it's a much, uh, it's a closer gap between the traditional financial tools and cryptocurrencies than it used to be when Bitcoin first came out. When Bitcoin first came out, it was amazing because there was nothing else even remotely like it. Whereas now Apple pay. And I think you can send money over iMessage on Apple and like it's, yeah, it's not decentralized and it's not censorship resistant, but like 99% of the time people don't need a censorship resistant, decentralized transaction. They just need something that works. They need it to work, you know, quickly, cheaply and reliably. Yeah. Wouldn't yeah. it be amazing if, if, uh, we didn't even have to have this discussion and Bitcoin just had raised the block size a couple megabytes and we'd all be much richer and happier. <laughs> I mean, it seems so simple. Like none of these things should even be, we shouldn't have BCH, we shouldn't have BSA, we shouldn't even have most of the altcoins. You know, none of that should exist. Uh, well, then again, so, so let's it, talk about why that happened. If, if you guys are okay. Yeah, so like yeah. if I can put on my conspiracy theory hat for a moment and, and I, I'm, I've been around this long enough. I remember in June of 2011, Bitcoin for the first time ever had like a first, you know, really big run up, or at least the first one I experienced. Maybe people felt the same way when it went from one penny to 10 pennies. But I watched it go from a, like a little over a dollar to $30 in the course of just a couple of weeks there. And the worldwide, you know, media attention was focused on Bitcoin and, and people were really starting to pay attention. The only discussion platform for Bitcoin at that time was BitcoinTalk.org. And when Bitcoin hit $30, it was flooded with new accounts that nobody knew that were unrecognized names, just posting absolutely uh, you know, trivial fluff on the forums, flooding the forums with so many posts that it became impossible to actually discuss Bitcoin with the other people that wanted to discuss Bitcoin. So that was something all the way back in June of 2011 in which the communication channels for Bitcoin were shut down. So who would have done that? Well, probably some entity that has a lot to lose if cryptocurrencies get a lot of traction. So it's either it's either some you know, credit card type company or big bank or a nation state. And I think the nation state is the most likely one. And the fact that the CA had already contacted Gavin, wanting him to come and meet with him and explain it to him, you know, maybe that's a likely target. So I think that you know, state actors have been trying to disrupt Bitcoin since at least June of 2013. I'm sorry, 2011. 2011. Yeah, 2011. And uh, I think it's probably gone on to this very day. And, uh, and they've, I think they're just delaying the inevitable but they've delayed it by, you know, at least half a decade here. And I'd, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts as to, you know, why yeah. didn't they just raise the block size? Why, why do we have a 2,000 altcoins now? What, what? Yeah, well, it, just, seems, it great, seems almost. Great hats and, and tell me. So there's a yeah, great Isaac quote from 2011. Um, sorry, Rod, sorry, Isaac, but I want, I want to get this in. There's a great quote from 2011. It's, it's June 29th, 2011. So right around that time. And this guy's like, this early Bitcoiner, he's like, the forum forum.bitcoin.org, which is what it was called at the time, but it was before it was like bitcoin.org, um, is the worst place, is becoming the worst place to talk about Bitcoin on the internet. Dissenting voices are shouted down and dismissed as trolls. Moderators are deleting long-standing threads of great interest. So like the censorship had already begun in 2011. The campaign to sort of control the narrative had started right then. You know, and you can see people complaining about it. So you're, you're, you're right on. It's, it's kind of scary to go look back and watch the project be co-opted. I, I think you don't even have to be conspiratorial 
you have to be kind of delusional to think that there has not been significant attention from intelligence communities and things from a very early phase. I mean, one, we have the proof of what happened with Ross Ulbrich and a bunch of agents impersonating people and hacking stuff and all this kind of stuff with Silk Road. But if you look into, I mean, even just the publicly accessible documentation of all these different intelligence agencies throughout the years, the kind of stuff that they talk about, they, they talk very, very much about any niche community newsletters, forums that are any potential threat, impersonation, sock puppetry, infiltrating, just to figure out what's going on, to, to see about perceived threats. Oh, this might be something that terrorists use. We got to know about it. You'd have to be a complete moron to think that there has not been at least observation, if not all kinds of mucking around from various governments and intelligence agencies. And so the question is, how much, uh, to what end, uh, and, and what kind of manipulation has been going on? And, and I mean, you can, you can put together some stories that are frankly more plausible than any alternative about a lot of things that happen to censor forums, cripple things that, you know, whether directly or indirectly, uh, this was... This was certainly not something that nation states were upset about, uh, that the Bitcoin getting, you know, totally screwed up. So um, I, I don't think you have to get that crazy. I, I think you have, to, you have to be pretty naive to, to assume that that hasn't been going on and isn't still going on. Yeah. And when you dive into more of the technical details, the idea of capping the blocks at one megabyte is not in the realm of being reasonable. It's like, it's, it's honestly not a one megabyte block is it doesn't even make sense it's not like you you could talk about bitcoin as a system and say well maybe you know maybe the top is like 100 megs i mean maybe you could make that i think it's a bad argument but maybe you can make that argument but one megabyte it doesn't make any sense um i just posted a thing today i saw a news article that said there was new internet technology they're working that had speeds of 44 terabits per second per second so that <laughs> that would be like that would be like, let's see. Gigamegs. Uh, <laughs> that would be like, th I think, three billion times the more throughput possible on, on that, right? Like 600 times, well, what I, something like, you're literally talking this potential scale for the transmission of data is maybe billions now in the near future. So we're not even close. And, and I think when you see that, it, it, the, the, plaus the plausibility of Bitcoin being intentionally derailed from the top just makes a lot more sense. And then, you know, you re, like uh, Derek just reposted this thing that I, I forgot about when it happened, but it was a big deal. And then suddenly it disappeared, which is Peter Todd. Uh, was it, well, how did his emails get released? About well, so, so this, okay. So the, the backstory is that this guy appears out of nowhere named John Dillon. John Dillon posts on the, uh, the Bitcoin dev mailing list. And he's like, He's like, I'm offering a $500 reward for anyone who wants to do uh, RBF, implement RBF, and re uh, uh, replace by fee. And he raises which, it to- Which breaks the most magical yeah, use case of breaks Bitcoin. Bitcoin yeah. Breaks Bitcoin. And then he raises it to $1,000. And so Peter Todd posts on Bitcoin Talk, and he's like, I'm thinking about claiming this bounty. And so this is like, this is like- this is like March of 2013, maybe, I think. I don't remember the dates exactly, but anyway, so Peter Todd then releases this video 
and releases a video like several months later. And it's like the first video arguing for small blocks. And this is a, a radical video arguing that the block size can never be raised. It's like and everybody scary, was shitting on. The community yeah. was actually, yeah, yeah. in fairness at that time, shitting on that video. Everybody's crap. And as someone who's commissioned videos, that wasn't a cheap video to make. It probably oh. cost at least $10,000 to make that video. Yep. That wasn't yep. a cheap video. Back in the video. day, yes. My, my first two-minute promotional video for Praxis cost $10,000. Yeah. And this yeah. is still a professional <laughs> video. So it's 2013, and it still looks like it could have been made today. So you know that it, like a lot of energy and time was put into this. And it's very kind of Orwellian when you watch it. But then like uh, several months after that, John Dillon's emails are, are released. Oh, someone, that's what it was. Someone hacked his emails and releases a big <laughs> paste bin file. And you go through and you read his emails to Peter Todd. And one of the things he says is that he works high up in US intelligence. He like explicitly says this. And he, he tells him that he's trying to make up for his crimes but of course that's what, of course of course that's what they would say right i mean they're not going to say hey i i'm trying to you know i don't think peter todd was necessarily working hand in hand like as as like a uh, openly with the state he was a patsy he was a pro yeah he was just a puppet you know i think i think a guy showed up and said hey i i care about freedom yeah i work for the state but i really side with snowden by the way here's a bunch of money i want you to do rbf and i want you to make a video limiting the block size to one megabyte. And there was also some other interesting, really odd things too that were, were done. So he had a conversation with Greg Maxwell about, um, about something and he, he was trying to send Greg Maxwell 5.1 Bitcoin. And those Bitcoin later from that address he shared later ended up in the address that was owned by the FBI. The FBI. Yeah, oh, which really? is really weird. And so Greg Maxwell says like, oh, well, those emails were those that, that that email was hacked and that had the private key. And it's true. He did put the private key in those emails. But why were they sent to the FBI Bitcoin address? Like the whole thing. I just think it was the same weird. address they were holding the Silk Road fund. It was. It had like 150,000 yeah. Bitcoin previously in it. So it's, it's all so weird. Um, but but we, what we do know at the very least is that a guy who said he was in U.S. intelligence, who disappears, who appeared out of nowhere, then disappears supported RBF and not only supported, that would be understatement, paid, paid for, for RBF yeah. and the first video about limiting the block size to one megabyte. The video was so radical that at the time, Greg Maxwell actually responded and said, I'm worried this video is gonna make people think that we can't raise the block size at all. He actually says that in the response. So, so, so you know at the time, this is, this is pre-blockstream of course, you know at was the that, time that the video was so crazy. Was that Greg uh, or one of his, thousand sock puppet accounts well it looks like it was greg which is hilarious because greg acts like he never supported raising the block size but roger did you ever did you ever communicate with satoshi in messages or emails not 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 that i'm aware of do you think it matters not by his satoshi name if i have not by his satoshi name so yeah although one one of the most interesting things i bought the domain name blockchain.com back in i don't know 2012 or 13 or something one of the weirdest transactions of my entire life. Uh, so, so bizarre. I, I don't know who I bought it from at this point. I offered to pay them in advance in Bitcoin. So there's no risk at all to the seller. They said, no, we have to use an escrow service. I said, <laughs> I don't think you understand. I'll pay you in advance in Bitcoin. And they're like, no, we have to use the escrow. Like, Did they ask oh, for a okay. bonded courier? <laughs> there was no bonded courier involved, but it was such a bizarre transaction that wound up taking probably three months when it should have just taken three hours. So it was really so, bizarre. So on that note, Roger, um, I wonder, and some, somebody in your position of prominence, 
how are you not freaked out all the time that you're going to get some crazy people at your door or in your email or like, how are you not walking around super paranoid? Because I'm on the way outskirts of this uh, world and I occasionally get a little freaked out when I dig deep. Yeah, well, I certainly have crazy people in my email inbox and on Twitter and other places as well. So no, I mean like looking on... in your inbox from the state. Oh, uh, I'm sure they have. I'm yeah. absolutely sure they have. In fact, I, I, it, it's, it's not crazy, but uh, I'm almost positive that some state intelligence agency, they literally were trying to strip me of my citizenship so I would be stateless. Uh, and I have really strong evidence of that. And like, thankfully, that hasn't happened. But uh, you know, that's some really dirty stuff. So yeah, abs- uh, I would be absolutely, absolutely stunned if the state wasn't looking into me and watching every last thing I do. Because uh, you know, just like my hero of Murray Rothbard, I'm an enemy of the state. I think we, the world can be a much better, more peaceful place and much more prosperous if we didn't have the state and we didn't have this violent group of small, you know, small group of people using violence against everybody else to, to shape the world in the image that they want it to be. I think each individual can shape the way they want to shape it. So uh, well, I, I'm I, sure I, the I state's even, looking into me and would love to toss me back in jail. Well, and I've even seen some, uh, some prominent BTC people who claim, you know, they want small blocks and all this stuff because they want radical censorship oh. resistance from the state. I've seen them like openly like threatening you with legal regulation, trying to trying to get state agents to come after you yeah. and just bullshit. Yeah, Greg like Maxwell that. is one of those. Greg, yeah. Greg does it all the time. You just go read Greg's Reddit account. That was one of the things actually watching, we're going through his Reddit post was one of the things that convinced me that that guy is just evil. Yeah. Um, some of the stuff he says to you. Um, but other guys, too, who, who have done it. Adam Back has talked about uh, using the state. I mean, during the whole Segwit2x thing, he was threatening a class action lawsuit against right. Blue Matt like sent Carson. a letter to the SEC telling yeah. him to, like, declare Bitcoin Cash illegal or something yeah. like that. But Matt, so Matt Carrello sent a letter saying that Bitcoin Cash, or Bit, uh, Bit, Bit, uh, Segwit2x was, was an illegitimate fork and they need the SEC to classify the BTC fork. And what's hilarious about it is he actually says, I yeah, think we, in need, the letter, we need the SEC to keep us decentralized. Well, what's, what's so funny is he actually says in the letter that Segwit2x may become the longest proof of work chain. And so we can't allow that to be called Bitcoin though still. And that was, that was just, just an incredible to standard me. there. Another guy, I mean, Eric Lombroso, another, I think core dev says, um, uh, uh, we have prepared legal and technical action to take against, uh, to take against uh, Segwit2x people. And not only that, you know, one of the things, so speaking of BSV getting delisted, one of the things I think is kind of funny about that is that uh, like Kraken, for example, employs people who were threatening lawsuits against Segwit2x, you know, and they have no problem with that. But now they have a problem with, with BSV doing the same, you know, Roger. Can I ask you if about- I, If I could say something on that really quickly. Just, yeah, go just ahead, TK. Very quickly. Um, in tribute to Craig, by the way, I have a little acronym called ARSE that, that, that adequately accounts for what we're talking about here. And ARSE is Anarchic Rhetoric Status Execution. Um, you know, of all the criticisms that are made of CORE, you know, one criticism that, that's hardly ever made is that these guys are a bunch of statists. Why? Because they have mastered anarchist rhetoric. They're utterly brilliant at using the language of freedom to talk about something in a way that convinces people to adopt a status-friendly mode of execution. Like, what's all the language around the big blocks? Oh, keep it decentralized, make it unconfiscatable, make it censorship resistant. And that's the very thing that's being proposed here, right? Is that this is essentially a status co-op. But you'll never hear that criticism. Even when we criticize the big blocks, we don't really call them status. And I think if I were to put my conspiracy hat on and say, I wanted to deceive the crypto community. 
I would make sure that I would use the language of freedom in those spaces where freedom is least respected. I think that that's an awesome point, TK. And also what you might do if you were part of the intelligence agencies, you would, you would try to prey on those minds, which might be partial to freedom, but have some type of limitations. So they don't understand economics. They don't understand how the system of Bitcoin is going to work. So they're going to plant their flag and say, I am a good uh, uh, Bible carrying anarchist. And that's why we need one megabyte blocks in the core devs to yeah, the, the maintain. <laughs> exactly. Like that's exactly what you would do if you were a clever intelligence official. Roger, let, let me ask you about something that uh, I have, I have been awake at night a couple of times um, wondering if things could have been so much different. And I want to hear your thoughts. We had, you had Bitcoin classic, I think you had Bitcoin XT and then you had Hong Kong agreement, New York agreement, and then of course the, the fork to Bitcoin cash. All of these represent not so much New York and Hong Kong because those were fundamentally pretty small uh, compromises to, for a block increase, but certainly the, the XT effort um, and the BCH effort. I don't, I don't see though, I see those as having been really damn close to winning outright and ousting core and taking over as the one Bitcoin being a big block Bitcoin. In retrospect, do you think there's anything that could have been done differently to actually cause those? If, if you knew what you know now and you could go back in time to try to do Bitcoin XT, could you have present, prevented a DDoS attack and overcome that? Or with BCH, could something have been done differently to make BCH, like it looked like it might in the first day or two, flip uh, BTC? Yeah, I, I think it's like Richard Hart said uh, that they lied, they cheated, and they stole to to you know keep the block small and, and strangle Bitcoin. I think the big blockers could have won if they had been willing to compromise their principles and lie, cheat, and steal to get it done. Uh, then I think certainly it would have happened. But I don't think that that's the right way to do things. Right? The 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 means are the ends. Uh, and so if we if we had engaged in a bunch of you know lying, cheating, and stealing to to scale the blockchain. Yeah, I'd be happy that the blockchain got scaled, but it's it's not okay to lie, cheat, and steal to to accomplish your ends. And so I, I feel like that's the only thing that could have been done differently. And, and we saw it, you know, time and time again with the censorship and the propaganda and the personal attacks. And yeah, there's a little bit of that sort of thing from the BSV or BCH camp, but there's a huge amount of that from the Bitcoin Core camp that goes on to this very day. I just you know go on social media and look at any of the attacks that are still going on this year, just like fake blog posts calling me a liar about a bunch of things and I have to debunk it all. And thank you, Derek, for, you know, writing an article debunking some of it on my behalf in the past, even though <laughs> I had no idea you were even, even writing it. So I'm glad that some people can see through it, but uh, what could I, cause you're right. And we just came within an inch of, uh, of, 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 you know, scaling this to be money for the world and, and it didn't happen. And uh, I, I feel like there's I mean, something religious to that, Roger. I feel like you're, that you just got into the domain of like ethics so they're like literally there might be some there might be some ethical principle here principle here when you're saying you are conceding an entire uh, toolbox worth of techniques for trying to accomplish your own goals to to another set of people like if we're if we're fighting the state and all of these bad people who are not restricted by the same morality that is a really hard fight to win and it's pretty remarkable that we did get so close um, even at the beginnings, I tend to think that one of the, arguably the biggest failure that I think could have been overcome was just the decision making of the Chinese miners. 
I think they were too weak. They were too passive. I think if we had a different culture of miners that early on, even despite the censorship and propaganda, I think we could have gotten it done. Given what we were talking about before, intelligence agencies, government infiltration, think about China. The odds that the mining interests in China are not pretty shackled to government interests in China are maybe low? I don't, I don't think that was the case, though. You don't um, think so? And so, like, so I've, I've been in the room, you know, I was at the Hong Kong, uh, there was a Hong Kong first meetup and this and that. And I, I've, been in, I've been in the room for a bunch of these, you know, things. And at one of them, I literally, you know, got down, not figuratively, like, I literally got down on my hands and knees on the floor and begged the Chinese miners to allow, I think it was Bitcoin Unlimited or Bitcoin Classic at the time. And it had, like, you know, 51% of the hash rate or something. And I was begging the other ones to, to, you know, please, please, please let this scale to be money for the world. And I literally begged them. And Jihan stood up out of his chair and, and picked me up and said, you know, please don't beg on the floor. Um, but that's how, how important this was, where I literally begged the Chinese miners. It was, you know, Jihan was there, uh, the F2 pool guy, Wang Chung was there, and uh, a couple of other guys as well. And uh, why do you think they the didn't-, floor didn't work? Why do you think they didn't do it? You don't think it was fear of government influence? It was just- I think they just didn't realize. Okay. Yeah, I think think the the most plausible explanation for the failure is that the big blockers underestimated the tactics that Core would use and just how duplicitous they were. Um, Even even one thing that I I actually didn't know and I found recently, um, was Adam Adam Back, I, I, I may be explaining it wrong, but I remember he, he, he like signed the agreement as a as him as Blockstream and then signed it, then re-signed it and as himself. And said, "Oh no, I just signed it personally, so yes. I didn't find the company yes. at all, even though I'm the CEO and founder of the company." Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I signed it. it as an individual, and and those kind of things were just were just common. But I also think, I also think it, it goes beyond just petty lies and censorship, and it goes into the realm of, you know, sort of. I mean, criminal behavior, DDoSing, death threats, extortion A lot letters. of people don't know about this. If I can elaborate on this. So at Bitcoin.com, when this scaling civil war was going on, the small blockers found uh, every single email address they could find because it was just the person's first name at Bitcoin.com. And they signed us up for not just thousands, but tens of thousands of like hacked mailing list accounts where they were able to sign mm-hmm. up. And I'm like, all the, and I, to this very day, I still get tons of spam at Roger at Bitcoin.com that's like sent to like, some woman's name and it's even foreign languages there's russian and french and other and like they did that and when it first started they literally shut and i didn't say it at the time because i didn't want to give them the satisfaction but they shut basically bitcoin down dot com down for several days while we were trying to fix all the spam problems because we just got a a ddos attack via spam and nobody's email worked at that point and just yeah the underhanded dirty tactics that big blockers i feel like didn't even consider using yeah there were there were isp providers complaining in reddit people who actually were not involved in bitcoin saying hey some guy was running an xt node on my isp and it took out the entire isp like my whole company got temporarily wiped out because these guys were dosing this this one node so, so we're way out, we're way on the periphery of this thing. But I remember during that whole era, we were diving pretty deep in some conversations of what's going on and what's happening and digging up things. And and Steve was talking to Phil Wilson about stuff, and he's all paranoid about whatever his stuff. And we're all kind of talking about this is crazy. There's some dark stuff going on. And then at one point, <laughs> Steve like didn't respond to some text messages for a long time. 
and either Derek or TK, I was like, hey, have you guys heard from Steve? And one of them, as a joke, goes, Blockstream got him. And I genuinely was like, are you serious? <laughs> I did that, yeah. I, like, I thought that was we, possible. I was that, yeah. like, there was some weird shit going on. Yeah, I remember that. You actually called Steve, and Steve was like, Steve was saying, yeah, I got this weird call from Isaac. He thought he was worried that I was hurt or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So, well, there okay. were some crazy stuff. I mean, I've had people but it's try plausible, to get into my like emails. with all the crazy stuff that happened, swattings and things like yeah. that. Like, it's it's certainly plausible. No, it's so. it's definitely plausible. In the in the Craig Wright court case, some some lawyer for well, some. They made the cost of speaking out so high that people didn't want to do it individually. So one telling thing to me was, was Andreas Antonopoulos actually talking about how he really hopes Bitcoin doesn't become just something for like this really privileged, like political elite to use. Um, he really hopes it's used by everybody. And he got a death threat because of that by a guy who commented, if that ever, if that ever happens, I will murder you with my bare hands. And this was like a popular guy, arguably the guy responsible for creating some of the core cult, Merchant of Pepescu. And uh, one of the guys, too, who was, who was actually paying people to DDoS XT nodes. But I just see that, and I see that that's just one example among probably hundreds or thousands of people who were, were probably made to just fear for their life or their reputation or their financial safety um, so much that they just were not willing to engage in that discussion anymore. So, so that's one of the things, if, if I can interject, I think that's one of the big advantages that Bitcoin Cash has today, though, because you have, you know, I'm still speaking out, but like Brian Armstrong's gone silent, Peter Smith's gone silent, Tony Gallippi and, uh, and Stefan Payer at BitPay have gone silent. All the CEOs of all these companies that were all in favor of, you know, Segwit2x and Bitcoin scaling just got attacked mercilessly by these Bitcoin core people. And it, it succeeded in getting them all to shut up. Yeah. But don't you think for a second that in their heart, their hearts with Bitcoin Cash at this point, because they were treated so horribly by the Bitcoin core community. So they're there and eager. And we just saw a couple of days ago, Coinbase released some you know, new open source library for Bitcoin Cash, like a indexer or a whole node there. Uh, and so I think that's a big advantage that Bitcoin Cash has going for it, is that all the CEOs of these big early companies love the way the Bitcoin Cash community wanted it to be money for the world and are still pissed off by all the trolling and attacks that uh, the Bitcoin core community did towards I'm Coinbase and BitPay. For God's sake, these were two of the businesses that did more to drive more cryptocurrency adoption than any, you know, basically anything else out there. And the Bitcoin core people hate them. They absolutely yeah. hate them. And it just, it's crazy. Yeah, BitPay is, is still slandered basically every day in our Bitcoin. Like any post about BitPay, it's just like, don't use BitPay. They're awful. They're horrible people. They're enemies of Bitcoin. I mean, just just so, crazy nonsense. So there's a lot of, a lot of like frustrating, depressing shit going on. Let's, let's bring it home on some positive stuff. Because there's another way to look at, even with all the things, I wish there wouldn't have been all these splits and stuff. But on the other hand, here we are in 2020. We've got three different versions of Bitcoin competing in the marketplace. And we have open discussion and debate. But above that, we've got a debate going on in the marketplace. And yes, that network effect, that ticker symbol, all that stuff is a huge leg up for a fundamentally technically broken version of Bitcoin. But you have BCH and you have BSV. What do you get excited about? What do you get hopeful about? I hope you're not ready to shrug yet, Roger. And if you're not ready to shrug yet, what do you see that gets you? What's the light at the end of the tunnel? It would be understandable so if you did, though. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> because you have put up with, with more than just about, I mean, honestly, you, you deserve so much respect for, for the things you have done over, for, for human freedom and for Bitcoin. And, and, and 
the level of crap you have had to put up with is, I mean, I look at that and I think, how, how does one man bear all of that? How is that even possible? Truly. It's true. I second that. And it, I was just doing some research the other day and um, <clears throat> there was a few Bitcoin core um, controlled websites that had information about Roger and they couldn't wait until about the second paragraph to say he's a convicted felon that was that sold explosives on the internet and pled guilty and blah 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 it's like guys yeah convicted so, for nothing if for you bullshit. think that if you think that what you what you went to jail for uh is something that's not heroic then you're just a effing moron okay that's that's i mean that you were doing commerce in the you were a great American entrepreneur. Uh, so if anybody calls you a felon, that's like my litmus test, the Roger yeah, Bear test. Honor at this point. By, by the way, everyone should watch your video that you made about your time in prison. That was, that was one of the best videos I've, I've seen you do. Uh, terrifying and, and kind of heartbreaking, but also just, just fascinating. People should watch that before they, they run their mouth about so, so uh, what's good? sending what's people exciting? to jail. What are, what are the winning scenarios in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I, I, you guys set up, I had such a good punchline, but now, now the, the, the moment has been ruined. But when you <laughs> asked, what are you the most excited about all of this? And only the really hardcore people would, would understand my answer when I, I was going to tilt my head and say, it's interesting technology. <laughs> and do you guys know the reference? Yes. Maybe not. So. Yes, yes, I do. Th I this don't is know a, this is Luke, Luke Jr., right? Bingo. Yeah, so yeah, Luke exactly Jr. That. is giving this incredibly awkward interview. Well, of course, all of his interviews are incredibly awkward. And uh, I forget, there was some normal, innocent commentator asking him, so what makes you most excited about Bitcoin? And he's like, freezes. And then he, like 30 seconds. It's, it's such yeah, a long pause. I think it's interesting technology. <laughs> Oh gosh, terrible. This is the guy, this is the code ninja, right? Who was, who was central in crafting the brilliant Segwit uh, addition to, to Bitcoin. Well, okay, he, is, he is a code ninja, but that's, that's why, that's not enough. That's not sufficient, right? I mean, you, you look at what the guy says. I mean, his, if you want to know more about Luke, go read his Reddit post. That's, that's the most wacky stuff I've seen from, from anybody in a long time. Um, is that the same interview where he says that he doesn't think Bitcoin will ever be use, useful for most people in the world? I don't think so. Not that I there recall. was another one that he did in like, there was like December, 2017 where he, he straight up says, yeah, I don't know if Bitcoin will really be good for most people. <laughs> like, or, or, or Samson Mao saying that Bitcoin really isn't made for people, uh, for people making less than $2 a day, which is yep. just about as far away from the truth as you can get. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry. I, I, I did. I did yeah. see the Samson debate with Roger, where, uh, uh, where where he where Roger was criticizing the fees, and he goes, "How much are they right now? How much are they right now?" Because the fees happen to be low at that exact moment. Yeah, he was, he was a little too excited about that. All right, Roger left in protest. Walk. Oh, out. there he is. There yeah, he is. That was the answer. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were like, yeah. we were like, Roger, uh -oh. if you're not ready to give up, tell us the good news, and then you just leave. <laughs> Hey, wait, wait, you, Roger, like, we cannot have you here, man, without having you talk about your theories on Satoshi. Everybody takes the, the easy well, way out says, oh, it doesn't matter who he is. Do you think it matters who Satoshi is? Do you have any theories, opinions uh, that you find fascinating, interesting, you feel passionate about with regards to Satoshi? 
Well, I, I wanted to answer the other question first, yeah. if you don't mind, but happy to talk about that too. And so, yeah, Bitcoin's interesting technology, but like it's interesting technology because of the things that it enables, right? It's an amazing tool to enable every individual on the planet to have complete control of their own money and strip away government's ability to control the economy. That's why it's interesting technology. If it didn't enable those things, it wouldn't be interesting technology. And so uh, that's, that's why I'm you know, motivated to, to continue on and, and, and keep going with this. Uh, so, what do you think uh, excites happy- you most about Bitcoin Cash right now? Like, like where do you, how, how like, okay, maybe more specific, like, like how does Bitcoin Cash succeed, or, or what, what mm-hmm. would, what would it take to to get more people who are maybe frustrated with the direction of Bitcoin Cash now back, back into Bitcoin Cash? Yeah, because because uh, let, let me give you the most terrible analogy ever that TK gave, and I still hate him for it <laughs> because it was so good and so compelling, and I still can't get out, get it out of my mind. We were, when I was uh, more in the BCH camp than I am currently, um, he said, it's like BCH and BSV are your two friends. And uh, uh, BCH is the friend that used to be like super buff and was working out all the time. And then he stopped going to the gym and he got fat. And BSV <laughs> was like the, the little guy that, that was super motivated and going to the gym and like putting in all the time. And he said, it sounds like your argument, Steve, is that you're trying to persuade the guy, the BCH guy, to get back in the gym, even though he's already fat and kind of demotivated, versus just roll with the BC, BSV guy because he's the one that he actually putting in the work and crushing it. And that's just such a good, and that, I do feel like that's the case. What, what do you think about that? I think that's a pretty darn good analogy. It's um, terrible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But, I, but I, I feel like there are, and there's certain, there's certain people in the BCH camp that are trying to prevent, you know, the BCH entity from going to the gym and working out and becoming stronger. But there's tons of us still that are. So like Yonald Football, that guy is just a machine of, 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 you know, putting out great and useful things for the entire world to use. And the thing that I think I'm the most excited in the near term, though, is cash fusion. Like we're going to have that built right into the Bitcoin.com wallet. We have more than 11 million wallets created with that thing. So now you're not only you already have fast, cheap, reliable transactions, but you're going to have fast, cheap, reliable, and super, super private transactions in the Bitcoin.com wallet on BCH. I think that's a really, really powerful tool. And I think when that happens, we're going to see even more darknet markets start to use Bitcoin Cash than they are already. And one of the things that I've, I've been saying for a while and i'll keep saying it until somebody does it because i'm sure somebody's going to do it and for those that have been around for a long time like i remember just being giddy with excitement over the silk road and i I never bought or sold a single thing on there but i would log into the website and look at what's for sale and i had a spreadsheet and i was tracking the total number of like you know items listed and then the total the most expensive item on the site and it was just so incredibly interesting for me so like poor ross you know he's he's gonna he's currently convicted to to die in prison so if you're already looking at, you know, essentially a death penalty uh, there where you're going to stay in prison until you die, you might as well have an illegal IPO as well while you're running a dark net market. And so Bitcoin Cash has these awesome SLP tokens, and we built this awesome SLP dividend calculator. And I don't know if you guys have played with this or, or seen this, but basically every SLP token sits at a Bitcoin Cash address. You scan the blockchain, see the addresses that have the token. You can send out on-chain dividend payments to all the token holders. So imagine like you know, the Silk Road 9.0 or whatever the next big one is. Imagine if they had an illegal SLP token sale and then started sharing the dividends uh, with all the token holders for this darknet market. So you have an illegal darknet market and an illegal IPO as well. Like to me, that would just be one of the most philosophically interesting, exciting things to have happened in the world of cryptocurrency in the last several years. And uh, I would love to see somebody do that out there. So uh, 
who's going to be the first one to have an illegal IPO for a darknet market that can't be stopped. And if and when that happens, Bitcoin Cash blockchain is the natural fit because I'm not aware of any other blockchain that has that ability right now. Uh, Steve, think of all the writing you could get done with a life sentence, you know? <laughs> Gosh, don't say that too loud. People might be listening. Yeah, the, uh, the, the SLP dividend thing, the uh, mint.bitcoin.com, those are, I've used them to make test tokens and it's like the easiest thing in the world. Um, and actually, that's actually one of the things that excites me about Bitcoin Cash and one of the areas that I see BSV being flawed is that in their in their maybe upset over obsession with being maybe too government compliant like you you actually you miss out on the, the level of just innovation you lose out on right because if 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 you know it's so easy to make it right now i anyone in the world can just go create it whereas whereas at a, a government regulated system I mean, it's going to be a nightmare to go create an SLP token. Well, you know, it's like Bitcoin that whole SP. argument like, oh, well, those are unregulated securities or whatever. So is Bitcoin. Yeah. Nobody knows what the hell this thing is from the get-go. The governments don't know what to do with it. Like nobody, you know, Satoshi didn't wait to go get legislative approval before introducing it into the world. So yeah, I, I love that. I love that for us. I want to get I'd, back I'd to love this if someone question. makes something oh, like that. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to turn the question around. Oh, I'm sorry, Derek, go, go ahead, Derek. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah. I wanted to turn the question around to you guys because like all the people on this call, I'm, I, does anybody else other than Isaac, did, did you guys know who Carl Watner is? I mean, that's a really obscure reference. But yeah, uh, I'm pretty familiar with the whole libertarian history. History is kind of like my, my, my interest, you know, just like libertarian history, Bitcoin <laughs> history. TK is holding up the, uh, the collected works of uh, the best of the voluntarist magazine by Carl Watner. I had that, that exact same book that, when that, I was a young man. Yeah. So, um, is this the, I'm, is this the newsletter? Sorry, is this the newsletter that gets sent out, the little paper newsletter? The it bonkers? was. I, oh, yeah, I can one-up all of you. I got an article in there. Okay. I, I didn't even know, I I didn't have, know who the guy okay, was, but I, I got have, an article I have an there. original collection of the Atlantis newsletter, the Operation Atlantis newsletter. <laughs> I'm like one of the only people in the world who has it. And that was at, a at legit At one point, attempt. I owned every physical issue the <laughs> ever put out in all of Liberty Magazine. I gave them away. But if we're, we're going to throw yeah, down- to the wrong, no, to the wrong hey, person. Look, look, I, I already got this given though. Them to me. I'm going I'm to go back and edit this video. When Roger says, do any, any, does anyone else know who Carl Watner is? I'm going to film the part where I'm holding up the book and then I'm going to put the shades on myself, play some yeah. <laughs> and the video ends right there. Yeah, well, well, Ayn Rand consulted me before she wrote uh, Atlas Shrugged. How about that? <laughs> Roger, okay, Craig. So, so. I, kiss, I kissed Jim Morrison at a party in the 90s, right? Isn't that what... Uh, I think he says that. Yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, there was a question there. Yeah. So, so the point I know... I, I, I have goosebumps and almost tears of joy <laughs> because I'm surrounded by people that have, you know, were influenced by the same sort of ideas and people that I was. And like, there's not too many times we can, I, how many people in the world there are, I, and there's some, but it's not as big of a number as we would like that have been influenced and, and have these things. And so you guys are the exact site, sort of people that, you know, I would want to be building this, you know, tool to bring peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash to the world. So the question for you guys is, is what, would, what would need to change or improve or, or be different for you guys to be more excited and interested in Bitcoin Cash again as being the top contender for being that tool to bring more, you know, peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash for the world. What, what, uh, what could be fixed to, to entice you guys to be more excited about that rather than, than some other coin? So the way I'm looking at it right now is uh, I think if BCH is going to have a chance, it doesn't look like it's going to win the big block Bitcoin competition. 
it looks like there might be an awesome niche here for darknet markets and for people that are, it'd be like a closer niche um, that Monero, I think Monero is an awesome project. And like, I, I imagine the actual, the way it looks to me is that the scope of, B, of BCH is now going to be mid block Bitcoin, we're the responsible coin, and we have these ni nice things like um, privacy features. So I think, and I find that attractive. Uh, I, I would, I would need BCH to be like BSV without the patents and state compliance stuff in the lawsuits. Um, I'm someone who I, I weighed, I weighed in my head a long time to think about what I thought was more important. And ultimately what I think is more important is the economics and the profit seeking, enabling profit seeking. And I think that BCH right now is hostile to certain forms of profit seeking. And because of that, it's not a good investment. It doesn't, for, to me, it doesn't matter because it, to me, I, it, it doesn't matter what's happening right now. It's, it's, I'm thinking long-term down the future, what are the consequences of these ideas that are, are influencing the community? So right now they haven't actually, like there's been some effects, but I don't think it's gotten as bad as it could get. I think that unless these ideas are seriously challenged in Bitcoin Cash, they're going to continue to influence the protocol in negative ways in the future. Um, so I, I'm thinking long term, and I, and I think um, so. For, so for me, it would need to change substantially. We need to, to actually adopt a lot of the things that Bitcoin SV is talking about, maybe with without some of those those negatives. But you know, to me, the economics and, and the, the capitalism of BSV matter a lot more than the ideological purity of, of BCH. And even to people who uh, I think deserve, you know, a lot of uh, appreciation, like John Fuqual, you know, he's been, he has been a great mind in the space. We, we have more empirical demonstration that there was a, there was big blunders made because uh, he was one of the main people promoting Omri Sachet as the guy that should be the lead dev of the lead implementation. I mean, he was so explicitly, he was attacking me for my criticisms of Omri. And then he wound up saying, well, actually, I think Omri has gone a little bit too far and now I don't support him anymore, which is great that he came around to the position of being more critical of Omri. But to me, that was a demonstration that that's too late. You know, if you, people like that making that level of blunder, uh, I think that's too late. And, I, and, and yeah, I, I guess, like I said before, I think restricting the scope of it is probably is probably going to be the inevitable um, a market that BCH finds in the future. It looks like. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't want the future of BCH to be every time every six months there is a massive controversy and we need to go all, all go under Reddit and complain and make our voices heard and pray to God that we stop something stupid from happening. To me, like that, I don't I don't want to think about my investments or my work like that. And I'm scared when I see that having happened in Bitcoin Cash with the SV split, then just having happened with the IFP. Now it looks like, is that going to be the inevitable future of BCH where it's every six months or every year, we have this massive battle where we've got to duke it out over some stupid protocol change and hope to God it doesn't split the community. And if DJ, that's the case, it's just not worth holding. If that's fixed, if, if, if that's fixed, that's, that's a big sign in the positive direction. If we stop, forking every six months that alone would be i guess one thing that would, would be positive sign tk do you want to go first or have me go first with your answer to what would bring you over to bch 
You go first, man. GK is just like, if Craig supports BCH, I'll go to BCH. <laughs> a, a BSV blender would probably help too here. See, well, okay. So that's all I was going to say. Roger, the way I think about it is not <clears throat> what would it take to make me come over and sort of support a coin. If you're asking which, which fork would I rather be a fan of, I'd rather be a fan of BCH. Like my heart is with you and the reasons that you stated, like I get excited about freedom in, in the greatest extent possible. I don't get excited about patents and other bullshit like that. But when I ask myself, which coin do I think has the greater probability of success? And when I say success, I mean is achieving mass adoption as a, as a non-government money. It may or may not have all these additional benefits for freedom, like anonymity and black markets or whatever, but the core value proposition of peer-to-peer -peer cash for the world that is not owned by a central government, which one has the greatest chance of success? I would need to see either BSV start to really screw up and fall apart, which is a, a potential option. And again, I see these things all probabilistically. So right yeah. now I think BSV has maybe a 70% chance of succeeding compared 70, 30 between the two. And that's nested within a 50% chance that any cryptocurrency wins at all. Like this is not a, a, a guarantee, but I would either need to see BSV screwing up in some serious ways or a radical shift in BCH to like uh, uh, consistently um, competing Able protocol. platform for people to build on, right? So yeah, exactly. The protocol. No more fighting every six months. Yeah, not only the protocol in place and removing any block limits and stupid debates about what's not technically possible and let miners in the market sort it out, but I would have to trust that this is not owned by one group of vindictive developers, which seems to be the case right now. So what I think would excite me the most is not so much which ticker symbol, but it would be if all the people who are in BCH for all the reasons I love BCH just decided to stop trying voice and tiring themselves out and bashing their heads against the wall and just choose exit, come over to BSV with the other sane minds, you ignore the cult of Craig Wright people. They're loud, but they're irrelevant. Come over with the other sane minds and start utilizing BSV for cash fusion for all these other things. Now, maybe you get sued for that by Enchain, but let's call their bluff. Let them try. Let them try to enforce a bunch of these patents. And let's just take the big block protocol and make it something awesome. I think that would maybe excite me the most. Yeah, and that's another thing. The patent point is a good thing. Is, is I, I seriously thought about, because I remember a couple episodes ago talking about this, and we were talking about how uh, there's a lot of instability introduced into a platform in which there are so-called defensive patents in the sense that they could always change their mind and I could build a business on something or build my investment on something. And then down the road, they decide, oh, well, we're going to start enforcing this now, right? Like there's, there's an element of trust now that's involved that I don't like to, to risk. But when I think about it, um, I don't think that their patents are enforceable. Maybe they are. I don't think that they are. I think that a lot of the rhetoric of BSV is that they're going to be able to enforce the name of BTC or Bitcoin with a, with a copyright claim and all this other stuff. And I think that that's just like a, a serious misunderstanding of IP law and that there's no way they're going to get away with that. Um, having a patent is different than enforcing one, quite different. And so until I see that as, as they're able to seriously enforce some patents and actually do some damage, it's all bluff to me and all bluster and, and not really uh, not really worth considering. TK, what gets you on to BCH, buddy? 
that's like asking me, uh, what does LeBron James have to do to pass up Michael Jordan in my book? There's nothing he can do. Um, that, that debate's already over to me. But here's something that would excite me. <laughs> you know, um, I, I'm, I'm relatively new to a lot of this stuff. But um, Roger, you know, I've watched a lot of your videos. And I, I don't care what anybody in SV uh, might say or anybody in CORE might say. I think you are an inspiring and articulate spokesperson for, um, for free markets and for, uh, for Bitcoin. I think you've done uh, more than just about anybody else in this business at waking a lot of people up. And a lot of people who might even hate on you are the same people that you unplugged from the matrix years ago, right? Um, and people are just fickle. So here's something that would excite me. It has nothing to do with BCH. What, what would excite me is if you came over to SV, man, <laughs> and you use that voice and that, that inspiration and that intelligence that you have, that entrepreneurial thinking that you have to, to bring diversity to, to the rhetoric. You know, because I, I believe in terms of the economics and, and the technology, I believe it's valuable. I believe it's going to win. I believe it's going to change the world. But even just from this conversation here, we see the power of rhetoric. Rhetoric. We see that if people are evaluating a technology and they don't hear someone representing it that sounds like them or that comes from a philosophical school of thought that they resonate with, it can be hard for them to embrace it. And I well, think you well, make a huge difference. You and know? think of this, think of the power of, instead of all these coins that are all, everybody can accuse BCH of being Roger coin and BSV of being Craig coin. The power of, hey, here's a big block Bitcoin that BSV isn't owned by Enchain. One of Craig's enemies is supporting BSV <laughs> on Bitcoin.com. Like even, you don't have to love each other to recognize the economics and the protocol that works. You can even hate each other. I think that is such a powerful testament. It would work the other direction too, but I just don't think that's going to happen with, with end chains. Roger, so, here's, here's, here's my basketball analogy I used like an episode or two ago about you. Um, I compared you to Dennis Rodman and I, I compared BSV to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Rodman was part of the Detroit bad boys teams and, and they hated each other. Everybody on the Bulls hated Dennis. Dennis hated everyone on the Bulls. But the moment Dennis joined the Bulls, it was game over. That team made history together. They did something that nobody in the history of the game ever did. And I think if you came over to BSV, man, it would be game over. Hey, and, and on the court, they played well together, but Scotty and Mike never spoke to Dennis off the court. They had zero friendship that whole time, winning championships. Roger, we got we to wrap it up, but we got to get back to TK's question. Do you think it matters who Satoshi is? I think it matters a lot. Hmm. But I think it matters a lot for a reason that maybe people – wouldn't expect for me to say so. I think it matters a lot because when nobody knows who Satoshi is, everybody can envision Satoshi being the exact perfect version of Satoshi that they want. And it's just like Santa Claus is perfect in every way. Uh, but if you knew who Satoshi was and knew, you know, then, oh, he doesn't match my vision of this perfect Satoshi that I've been believing in for years and years and years that was going to bring the, the Christmas of peer-to-peer -peer cash for the world. So I think it's much, much better for all the flavors of Bitcoin if nobody knows who Satoshi is because if there is a real Satoshi, like I'm sure you guys saw that recent video where they put together some, some evidence that made me scratch my head. Could Adam Back have played a role in here, right? Like the fact that he was editing Wikipedia articles about Bitcoin before he supposedly ever got involved in Bitcoin really made me wonder. Yeah, um, so I looked into that, by the way, and I looked at the edits. And to me, the edits look like a guy who is trying to give himself credit for Bitcoin. He's adding things about hash cash into the Wikipedia page. And to me, it looks like a guy who, who wants more uh, clout in the Bitcoin community. 
And when I look at his response to the video, which we were joking the other episode, last episode, which is basically to me sounded like, oh, I'm not Satoshi, but you'd be a fool to think I wasn't because of all my amazing accomplishments and credentials. Um, to me, it looks like a guy who, who is sort of looking to increase his own influence. Roger, um, I love that point because all of the people who have either been claimed by others to be potential Satoshi or who've claimed themselves to be potential Satoshi, like every one of them, and this is a quote by the core people that, that like see Craig Wright fans mock, but I think it's a, a great quote. Every one of them would sort of lower my view of Satoshi because I get to, I get to imagine him being what I want him to be. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't that's know true. In all of our minds. Whoever it is, like, I mean, if it's Adam back, if it's Craig, it definitely it's lowers my either way. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, or Phil. I remember feeling that or way. Phil. Yeah, yeah, I did that interview with Phil and I, I still like his story the most of any that I've, I've read zero, he, zero a, concrete evidence, but the most clean and logically compelling narrative. Uh, uh, if you consume the story as written, when you when you talk to him and he's like, I'm like, there's no wait, what? This guy can this guy be Satoshi? And then like he's talking about, you know, maybe Bitcoin was created to keep out the undesirables in the monetary system, and like we need to have global taxation. That's that was the whole point behind Bitcoin is global taxation. I'm like, well, he's not my idealized version of Satoshi for sure. Roger, is there anyone? You don't have to say who. Is there anyone that you have a greater than 50% chance, uh, probability of being Satoshi? No, I, I, I don't know. Okay. You're not willing to give us the juice and get into some gossip <laughs> and speculation. Got his lawyer's at, present. At one point, at one point I, was, I was pretty convinced that Craig had something to do with it. Uh, at this point, I really don't know. And uh, if Craig had anything to do with it, on top of having something to do with it, he is an amazing con man. Uh, I don't want to give you suit again. Um, <laughs> uh, con, yeah. con man meaning, meaning confidence man, meaning someone you can have. He instills confidence. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That was a compliment there. And in, in all seriousness, I'm terrified I'm going to get sued again for having just said that. Like, I, Sorry, Roger. I don't like dealing with lawsuits. So, but yeah. uh, at, yeah, Craig, at one stop, point, he had me. Stop suing people. If, yeah. I, I know. I know some of these guys watch our show. Stop suing people. It's bad business. It makes people not like you. You want it's money bad is about for SV. yeah. Money is about for being sure. inclusive. You should be as inclusive as possible. You want everybody. The idea of Bitcoin is everybody uses it. Yeah, yeah you know, it's funny. When I, bad when people, I, good people. When I think about this stuff as a libertarian or as an investor or whatever, I can I can get all conflicted about things. When I step back and think as an entrepreneur, now my current business is not built on blockchain or anything, but I have all these various ideas. And when I think if I were to build a, a business on Bitcoin. Which chain would I adopt? BC, BDC is right out because it technically can't do anything. And then it's like BCH. Well, I got all, these, all this uncertainty about the protocol, whether my use case will be considered spam, all this other stuff. BSV, I got all this uncertainty about like, will I be sued? Will Enchain decide I'm their enemy? And does that matter? I don't know. And it like, matters. It Believe me, I found out. Yeah, it, it be right. becoming not a friends with you know Calvin and Craig that makes a that's a big headache in your life. So, so the so the BSV people who are like, we need a stable protocol to build on. You also need a stable reputation to build on. That matters. Great point. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Derek. With it, go ahead, Derek, and then I'll let Roger well, close out with anything. I would just else. say like like 2020 has been different than 2019, at least as an observer of watching what's going on in BSV, and to me the relevancy of those shenanigans has, has become less and less uh, a factor. 
Well, yes, yeah, time yeah. is gone. And then, and then you share on our, our Voxer thread, Derek, uh, a quote that seems to be implying Craig is telling the court that he could move Satoshi's coins <laughs> even if he doesn't have the actual keys. Yeah. And go, maybe oh, maybe it's better to say Craig's shenanigans are escalating, but the relevance of Craig is... I think that's fair. Waning. I mean, uh, I've definitely Roger, seen more criticism of, uh, uh, of Craig and Calvin. That seems to be a running thing, which I think is they, a great... Uh, trend in the right direction. Yeah, even if you like Calvin, I mean, being open to criticizing them rather than just worshiping the, the ground they work on is a healthy, they walk on as a healthy sign. Roger, if you, if you get a chance, you should sign up for Twitch. It's actually, I mean, it's a good product. It's, it's arguably for, for a social media product built on the blockchain, it's, it's far and away the best product I've ever seen built. You, you should come on and you should ask the BSV people on there your questions uh, and, and challenges. <laughs> that would be fun. And you, cause you'd get, you'd make money when they come at you. You know, you, I know you need another 20. I made $65 in the last three months. I know you need 65 bucks. I would also love to see uh, the, the secret anarchist and hardcore libertarians start to coalesce around uh, like a, 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 the, the radical faction in BSV. Like if you were to come on Twitch, I would, if anybody, if, you, if that ever happens, I, I suggest it's been on every... my to-do list for, for weeks. I oh, just, awesome. I've, I've been busy working on Bitcoin Cash stuff. So I didn't uh, okay, awesome. Yeah, you got too many spam emails for, week, for weeks. When that yeah, happens... you got too many core spam emails in there. <laughs> <laughs> we, all of the radical libertarians who are maybe a little bit quieter in BSV, let's, uh, let's show up and rally around that because that's a big deal. I'd love to, to test the waters and see how, just how many there are. By the way, there's a lot of them. It's just that, you know, they're, they're not talking maybe because they're, they're scared of getting... Or Roger, uh, <laughs> bring us home, man. You got the final word to whatever couple thousand big block Bitcoiners out there are listening. Yeah, I, I'm just honored to be on the same call with, you know, other people that are familiar with, you know, Murray Rothbard and Carl Watner and, and you know, all these great thinkers uh, in, in human history. And, uh, you know, we're all standing on the shoulders of these giants, but we're, that's why we're able to see farther than, than those that aren't standing on the shoulders of these giants. So uh, I'm just excited to be a part of it. And uh, whether it's BSV, BCH, or, you know, something else, Let's hurry up and build the tools to empower individuals to have more control over their own lives. And uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what it's called as long as it works for everybody and sooner rather than later. So thank you all uh, so much for today. I had a great time. I love it, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Thanks. Thanks for thanks, joining guys. us, Roger.